this episode, Once Upon a Soccer Match. I, I mean football match. Hello, and welcome to the Once Upon a Geek podcast, a proud member of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. On today's episode, we are finding our joy by talking about a recent television show that has nothing to do with geekdom at all, but dang it, it's just a great show. So we are talking about the Apple TV show entitled Ted Lasso. So I'm head coach Shag, and I'm your host, but I'm not doing this alone. For this episode, my assistant coaches are two friends, one of which we've been friends now for more than 30 years, and another one is a very recent friend that we've been friends for about three months. So folks, please help me welcome to the show Coach Beardless, Patrick Penn. And Coach Captain Entropy. How you doing, guys? Fire and water is life. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was waiting for that. Uh, doing great, man. Doing great. Thank you for having me here. Well, I am so excited to have this. Have you both here now? Uh, in full disclosure, this was actually uh, Coach Entropy's idea. He suggested doing an episode. Well, so, what inspired you to want to talk about this on my show? There aren't enough people I can talk to about Ted Lasso. And, you know, Chag, I can talk with you about anything. Oh, I thought you were going to stop that sentence. Says there's not many people I can talk to. I thought it was just going to stop there. But that's fair. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> All right, folks. Now, as we get into this, please understand that the three of us, we are just fans of the show. We are not experts. And so we're going to get things wrong. We're probably going to pronounce some of the players wrong. Or we're going to get some facts a little wrong. And that's okay. Don't come at us in the comments. Just understand this is coming from a place of love. And there's going to be a lot of talk about ideas and themes, and you might feel completely different from us. And that's okay. That is just as valid. So share those thoughts in the comment section, and we'd love for you to be part of the conversation. So on the surface, guys, right? this show, it, you know, it appears to be or it's advertised as a comedy or maybe a drama, depending on how you look at it, about soccer. And, oh, okay, we should say that up front. I'm probably going to keep saying soccer instead of football. I know that's more appropriate, but I am who I am. As Coach Patrick said right before we get recording, know our audience. Right, Pat? That's right. Now, since the show, again, on the surface, appears to be about soccer, we all know it's probably not. So, Coach Patrick, why don't you start us off? Where do you feel like, at a very high level, the show is actually about? That is a big question. Uh, throwing that right right to me, man, like I'm the goalie trying to catch that ball. <laughs> Come on, Zora. Uh, <laughs> uh, without divulging too much, of course, for anyone who is interested in Ten Lasso but has not jumped into it, I think that each of the seasons will highlight a specific trait that the rises. I mean, the, the overall story on its surface is this fish out of water, right? It's an American football coach in a sort of tier three college. And he gets this job in the premier league in England. And that's all you could do. It's like, Oh, this is going to be a train wreck. That's what they're hoping for. And but the simplest shorthand that I can use for this entire show is the verb that is at the core of the entire show on that poster. And that is believe. All right. That's a good summation. That's good. I like that. All right. So Coach Entropy, what about you? Well, others have said the show is about radical kindness. And I, and I agree with that. But I think it's also about loving your neighbor as yourself. It's about true humility, which I think Nate's dad even spells out as thinking of yourself less, not thinking less of yourself. Hmm. It's about what happens when we don't take individualism too far. And lots of sports stories are about courage and determination. And those are wonderful qualities. But this one is about love. Wow. Okay. Deep thoughts. So I, I agree with both of what you're saying. And But in order to have an answer of my own, I'll go a slightly different direction. I, for me, I think the show is about growing as a person. 
It's about moving forward and being a better person than you were yesterday. Now, a lot of that comes from the things you guys just described. That's how they get to that place. So it's all kind of goes together. And, you know, it's interesting. It, we, this show really isn't about s- soccer at much at all. Like, I would say this this show is about soccer as much as the movie Major League is about baseball. Like, I don't know if you guys remember that film or not. Yes. Oh, wild thing. Wait, you mean the one with the owner that was trying to tank the team? The female owner? Yeah. 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 So that was part of my, my thing. Yeah, exactly. So there's some similarities in the first season. That's for sure. So, but yeah, so it's really not about sports, which is interesting. Because uh, like when I pitched the show to my brother, uh, he's like, oh, I don't care about soccer. I, you know, and we're like, well, wait, wait, wait. That's not what it's about. So it, it is a little hard to convince people. By the way, we're going to talk a little more big picture. Then we'll let you know when the spoilery stuff gets started. So you, ha- so you can turn it off, folks, if you haven't watched the show. So let's let's go and, and talk about how you found the show. So uh, Coach Entropy, why don't you start there? How did you find the show and what got you watching it? So it was my middle daughter away at college, sort of home every other weekend, right? So all my daughters or all our daughters, they curate pop culture for my wife and me. You know, they want to make sure that it's not something that, you know, we're too old to enjoy. Um, <laughs> no Taylor Swift for you. <laughs> oh, no. So my two daughters who are away at college right now, they if they want to speak in code, they talk chemistry, which they know I'm no good at or Taylor Swift. So it's like another <laughs> But but anyway, the middle daughter most of all is looking out for stuff for, that that we can enjoy and she basically just nagged us until we watched it and we immediately fell in love. Well, having uh, all, all three of us by the way are proud fathers of amazing daughters. So I think all each of us could probably attest to our daughters bringing us things that made us feel cooler and hipper uh <laughs> because we're facing old men. So, uh coach Patrick, what about you? How'd you find the show? Well, as shocking as it may sound to you, sir, I, I was a latecomer to the series, but I was earlier than the rest of my family. I had seen it advertised on Apple TV while I was more focused on my two other favorite shows from that channel, For All Mankind and The Morning Show. And of course, as we turned the Wayback Machine a few years back to the early days of the pandemic lockdown, uh, I had missed when the episodes came out. So I think they were in August of 2020, and I guess around Christmas or early January, I had kept hearing more and more positive chatter about it. So I like Jason Sudeikis. I remember him from Saturday Night Live. And the plot, of course, always sounded interesting. Not the soccer part, you know, like your brother can attest, but that fish out of water thing seemed like it was an interesting hook. And uh, I was indeed hooked. I binged that whole season in three nights, just one week. And uh, (laughs) I I had to do that, uh, you know, that mammoth task of trying to attract the rest of the family to it. And they were pretty dubious to my tastes, although we we certainly got along with the other shows. I was like, no, no, really, it's not just about soccer. And I convinced them. And it's mostly just because I wanted to watch it a second time. That was the biggest hurdle. And I have uh, since then, now they, of course, have loved it and fallen in love, madly in love with it. But uh, that gave me the opportunity to watch it a second time. And I have since watched that first season a third time. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Uh, there's some similarities as far as the wife part and the fan, uh, in a second that I'll share. But uh, the way I got into it, thanks for asking, guys, was that I I'm in a role-playing group with several of my friends locally here in my hometown, and two of them would come to the role-playing group and wouldn't stop nattering on and on and on. But yes, one of these people's Patrick, by the way. They sound like awesome guys. I <laughs> it was Patrick yeah. and our good friend, Carlin, uh, who also goes by CT from the Nerd Lunch, you guys may know as well. So Carlin and Patrick were just going on and on. And honestly, like, th- when you guys uttered the words Ted Lasso, I didn't even know what that was. Like, I'd never <laughs> even seen it advertised anything. And you guys kept going on and on and on about it. 
and I, and I tease them, not really annoyingly, but they were just super excited and super animated, like we're about to be here. And I knew nothing about it. And I remember even saying at one point, when you two were going on for, I don't know, 10 minutes or something, I was like, I guess this is what other people feel like when I talk about Doctor Who. So I just clueless, no idea what you're talking about in code, you know, whatever. And it was just you and Carlin's continued enthusiasm for the show that just week after week after week just hammered through and finally got me to say, all right, what the hell? So I signed up for an Apple, like, free three-month trial. I don't know, whatever the heck they do all the time. And I, like you, Pat, I sat down and I'm like, I'll watch an episode. You know, it's, I don't know, 11 o'clock at night. I'll watch one episode before I go to bed. Yeah, like three in the morning, I turned off the TV and said, I have to stop. I'm wide awake. I'm laughing my ass off, but I've got to stop right and crying probably simultaneously. Like, I need to stop right now. So I was instantly hooked. Watched the first season over a very short span of time. Then uh, once the second season, I got to, I'm sorry, I started watching the second season. So, and my wife was in the room, like when I was watching it one time. And she's like, what's going on here? I'm like, tell you what, why don't we go back to the episode one and start there? She's like, no, just keep going forward. I'm like, no, I want to watch season one again. Yep. I tricked her into watching from the first episode and she's watched all of them with me and just absolutely loves it as well. And the, the postscript to that was we got the enjoyment of you in our little group chat that we have on Messenger on social media. You, as soon as you'd watch an episode, you're like <laughs> trying to catch up. And this was, I think, right as season two were starting. So you were just burning through it and then going right into season two. I think it might have been season three. I mean, I came much later than you guys. I came in like 2022. So I think it was right before it was in between two and three i think is when it was but either way yeah, yeah. I, I was catching up and you guys would have to deal with me like oh my god i just watched season one season finale oh my god blah, 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 you know <laughs> and we're sitting there trying to not divulge anything keep all the secrets you know it was right. great yeah we're, we're halfway through season two with our daughter and i can't remember if this is our second or third time through the show but i know exactly what you mean where it's it's hard keeping your mouth shut Oh, yeah. I, I was watching some fan edits the other night um, because my daughter's taught me the magic of fan edits on YouTube. So I'm watching some fan edits and I'm sitting here interchangeably laughing and crying, right, watching these things. And my daughter's like, what are you watching? I'm like, come take a look. Didn't work. I, I tried to hook her. Didn't work at all. So, <laughs> well, thank you, Coach Patrick. And thank you, Coach Carlin, who's not here with us today. Well, on behalf of Carlin, I will say you're welcome. <laughs> and we forgive you. <laughs> Well, thank you both for sucking me in for the show. And thank you, Captain Entropy, or Coach Entropy, for suggesting we talk about this today on the show. So I'm so excited to do this. Absolutely. Well, you know, I did know you were a Ted Lasso fan. You probably don't remember mentioning it in front of me, but you don't hide your enthusiasm well, Shag. Really? That is shocking to me. I am stunned to find out that I don't have a great poker face. I can't believe it. <laughs> this is my stunned face right now. <laughs> well, folks, before we get too much further here uh, and, and get into spoilers, we should take a second to thank our sponsors. This episode of Once Upon a Geek is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for comic book trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping on orders of $50 or more. Now, each episode will select a collected edition of comic books to briefly discuss from the InStockTrades library. And usually it's tied into the discussion in some way, shape, or form. Boy, it was a little tricky this time, folks. Uh, but uh, we all did find a few. So I found one called Strange Sports Stories. It's for mature readers. It's from the Vertigo line, where uh, they took that old title from DC, Strange uh, Sports Stories, and kind of made a more modern, mature version of that and used a lot of great creators like Paul Pope, Gilbert Hernandez, Derek Robertson, who's been drawing uh, the JLE comics we've been covering, CM Punk, uh, and a lot of other folks. The cover's by Paul Pope. The page counts 144 pages. It's full color, soft cover. Normally only goes for $14.99, which is super cheap, but with a 42% off discount, it's only 
69 cents, which is awesome. Again, Vertigo, a lot of cool, edgy artists, fun stuff about sports. It's a great win. Now, uh, why don't we throw it to you, Coach Entropy? What pick do you have? Well, my pick is Pele, King of Soccer, which he would have hated that title. It should be King of Football. <laughs> Pele was a Brazilian footballer who was widely considered the greatest in history. He was named Football Player of the 20th Century. He was named Athlete of the Century. Time named him one of the 100 most important people, not athletes, people of the 20th century. He has the Guinness World Record for goals scored, almost one per game. Wow. He came up from poverty, used to practice football with a grapefruit or a newspaper wadded into a ball. He was amazing to watch. I didn't even watch soccer as a kid, but I would watch Pele. Brazil's government declared him a national treasure and made him minister of sport. When he was in the position, he used it to clean up corruption like Batman. (laughs) The UN made him an ambassador for three or four different things. Lots of things. He protected the rainforest and he saved orphan children. He acted in a great movie called Escape to Victory with Sly Stallone and Michael Caine. I can quote Nelson Mandela, Henry Kissinger, and Andy Warhol on Pele. In fact, I will quote quote Andy Warhol. He said he was wrong about the 15 minutes when it comes to Pele. Pele would have 15 centuries. So uh, wow. published, yeah. So the publisher of this one is first, second. The writer's Eddie Simon. The artist is Vincent Brescaglia. He did the cover too. It's 144 pages. It's color, soft cover. It should be $15.99, but it in stock trades, it's $11.99. You save 25% or 25 games worth of goals from Pele. <laughs> All right, Coach Patrick, how about you, buddy? Uh, I decided to keep also with this. You went with sort of the obscure sports uh, or the mysterious sports. And uh, Coach Edgefree went with, you know, straight up soccer, football, excuse me. I went with Billy's Boots. It's a collection of strips. It says it's fantasy meets football, as we call it, soccer, in the magical story of a boy and his enchanted boots. Young Billy Dane was one of the most passionate football fans at Bingley Road Junior School. Unfortunately, he's also one of the worst players. Then one (laughs) afternoon, Billy's grandmother got him to clean out her attic, and Billy finds a pair of old-fashioned football boots that belong to Deadshot Kane, a famous striker who once played for England. This is actually a, a collection of strips that uh, the original Billy's Boots came out in the, in like 61 to 64 for a few years in a, in a boys magazine. And then again in the seventies for a few years. And it ran all the way up until about 1990. And this is a, uh, is written by Fred Baker with art by Tom Kerr. It's 112 pages and it's a color soft cover. It was 22.99, but now it's just uh, 25% off 17.24 or that's 14 pounds 27 for those of you across the pond. <laughs> and uh, it looks like a very uh, charming read because th- that hooked me. I was like, oh, just like Ted Lasso. It's, yeah, I don't care so much about football, soccer, but hey, there's fantasy. There's magic boots. It makes them into a superstar player. Heck, I got to read that. That sounds like a lot of fun. And a strip that went that long, I've never even heard of it. That's amazing. Great find. Yeah, you know something? I can adjust to football I mean, instead of soccer easier than I can adjust to boots instead of cleats. That's something <laughs> that's something that exactly. to me. I wasn't even aware it was a thing. You get the boot for selling boot from the boot. Right. <laughs> well, folks, for these and all your other comic book trade paperback needs, please visit InStockTrades.com. 
Now, this episode is also sponsored in part with your Patreon support because, you know, running the Firewater Podcast Network with so many shows, you know, requires a lot of online hosting and other services. And a while back, we realized we needed some help with the expenses. So we launched the Patreon and you folks really stepped up to help keep the network going. So if you're enjoying shows on the network, the best way to support us is by visiting our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash fwpodcast. And while you're there, um, please consider supporting the network. And at certain tiers, you get mentioned on your favorite shows. This episode, special thanks go out to David Ace Gutierrez and Gord Tolton. Again, please visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash fwpodcast. Now, folks, remember, this show is here for all of us. It's not just my show. It's not just the coach's show. It's all of our show to celebrate things we love. If you've gotten this far into the episode, clearly you're here for uh, Ted Lasso. So we want to hear your thoughts on the show, sports in general, whatever. Go out. The best way is to be part of our uh, – on the comments section on our website. So you just go out to firewaterpodcast.com slash onceuponageek. Leave your comments there. And in a future episode, I will read those comments on an episode. In fact, this episode is episode 15, so what we do is every fifth episode, I read your feedback at the end of a show. So once uh, me and the coaches are done chatting, I am going to read your feedback from the last few episodes uh, that come from our website. So be part of this conversation and get ahead for next time. So you can also find us, by the way, on Twitter and Blue Sky is Once Upon a Geek, or Facebook and Instagram is Once Upon a Geek Podcast. But again, if you want your feedback right on the show, leave the comments on the website. All right, so at this point... We are going to spill the tea. Uh, It is time for spoilers. So if you haven't watched Ted Lasso, and maybe we've piqued your interest enough, uh, please go check it out. You can get a free uh, Apple TV three-month subscription. They give them away like like candy. So go check that out. Listen to it. Uh, I'm sorry. Sign up for the free trial and just give an episode a try. I think you'll enjoy it. So get into this. Here we go, guys. So a show about football, soccer, whatever, you know, it, it... there, there's not the Venn diagram between geeks and, and soccer aren't terribly high, at least not traditionally. So for you, to either one of you, do you guys follow any sports? Captain Entropy, why don't you go first? Well, I grew up in Alabama and I've supported University of Alabama Crimson Tide football my whole life. It makes people hate you, but it's so satisfying. <laughs> I live in Tampa now and I follow our hockey team, the Lightning. Other than go, that, go I Bolts! Follow- Yes, go Bolts. Awesome. The Other than that, I follow the sports my friends and families play. Uh, my oldest daughter had one terrific play in her one season of T-ball. I have nieces who've been stars of several sports, mostly softball. And so my the first time I got interested in professional soccer, I have an informally adopted brother who used to be my interpreter in Afghanistan, and he taught me about Real Madrid and Ronaldo. Wow. Okay. Very cool. So the Venn diagram maybe uh, have more overlap than I thought. What about you, Coach Patrick? Anything? Well, I'd like to think that I am the closest to a professional football player that we have here. Certainly the most experienced, I think, because I did play for two years at the elementary school level. What? Yes. In my fifth and sixth grade, we were on the, let's see, my first year in soccer, I was a left wing for our team that was sponsored by the best sponsor in the world, Chuck E. Cheese's. And (laughs) that was a hell of a team. I think we finished about uh, two and seven or eight at the end of the season, but we had a hell of a pizza party at the end, so that was great. And then uh, uh, the next year was a little, little more uh, substantive. You know, when you get into sixth grade in middle school soccer at that point, and we had one superstar player, and basically the coach was just like, "Let Mario do everything." So we let Mario do everything, and he scored bunches of goals for us. But uh, I, I learned what a halfback was, and I learned what offsides was, and all those good things that Ted Lasso had to struggle with. Uh, I, I learned at an early age. So that is my closest 
approach to soccer. But otherwise, I love college football. I'm Florida State Seminole graduate, so FSU is my team. Uh, I grew up in South Florida, so Miami Dolphins still making me cry. And uh, <laughs> I, I adopted the Bucks long ago as well because of proximity to here in, in our home in our town. Woo-hoo. So I, both of them, I have an AFC and an NFC Florida team that I love. Uh, sorry, Jaguars. But yeah, I, I don't follow the NFL as much as I do college football anymore. But even that is just kind of here and there. It's really just one or two teams. Coach Patrick, you've only gotten me beat by two years. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> well, you only played for two, so that works out. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I think personally, being in the South, we do tend to be more college football fans than NFL fans. It just seems to be the the mindset, and maybe just because of where we live. I am also uh, a Florida State University graduate, uh, so I am an FSU football fan. And, and it, to be completely honest, I should probably label myself a Fairweather fan. I mean, I, I always love the Knowles. But I only truly engage with them when I've got someone to cheer with. And right now, that's my 17-year-old daughter. She's taken a huge interest in FSU. We've been to a couple games together now. We watch it on TV all the time. We have a blast. And, of course, it helps that we're having a really good season, right? I mean, that that doesn't hurt at all. Of course, by the time this comes out, I probably just jinxed us. We're going to lose every game. I don't know. Thanks, but Shag. <laughs> I can confirm, though, for you, Captain Entropy, though, that you are correct. Every other person in the country takes joy in watching Alabama lose. That is an accurate statement. So, yes. <laughs> it just makes the victories all the sweeter, Shaq. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. And then there were a few glorious years where I decided to be a baseball fan. When the Florida Marlins first started off, now the Miami Marlins, but Florida Marlins back then, I just decided I was going to become a baseball fan. I and no, no one taught me how to play the game. Nothing. I had to look up how to play the game. I went and bought a bunch of trading cards, and I would lay them out like on my coffee table. I'd be like, okay, this person's the catcher. So I put his card there. This person's first base. I put that like lay, like literally play, <laughs> role-playing it out of my, so I could figure out who was doing what. I think I secretly tried to do that along with you, Shagged. I think of, <laughs> of us, of you and I doing that, I think the the true fan still to this day, baseball fan, is Simon. He was the one that oh, was yeah. sort of getting you into it. And I think, yeah, he, he's the one that actually had the baseball chops out of all of us. I think that's very fair to say. That is very fair to say. Yeah, this is the same thing you did with the Loose Leaf Edition, right? It's exactly the same thing I did with the Who's Who Loose Leaf Edition. <laughs> so for me, my love of the Marlins uh, culminated uh, when they won the 1997 World Series. It was so exciting. Uh, it actually came down to Game 7, tied into extra innings. It was like a Hollywood magical story. It was great. And uh, I actually rewatched that game not long ago on YouTube. And it's, uh, yeah, so I absolutely love the team. Didn't follow much after that, but I absolutely loved it. All right, let's do this. We've, 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 we've screwed around for like 20 minutes of your time at home now, folks. Sorry about that. Now it is time. Let's talk about Ted Lasso, for God's sakes. So let's, we're going to get deep. We're going to get into spoilers. And guys, I want this conversation to be sort of like conversation. We each have things we want to say, but feel free to jump in and riff off each other because, you know, I want this to be a discussion. I want you to tell me why I'm wrong. I'm really looking forward to telling Patrick why he's wrong or, you know, telling each other why we're right. So why don't we start with you, Coach Patrick? So the theme of the show, we, we hit a little bit at the top, right? But what is the show trying to say? What's its message? And maybe it's multiple things. Why don't you start us off? This had me stumped because when you first asked me if I wanted to participate in this, I was like, yes. And then I went, oh no, what do I say? Because it's just, it's, I, you know, I'm then, I'm not an active viewer of television. I don't sit there. I really check out and I just kind of let it, I just let it absorb and I come in. And then when I try to go back and see if I got the same messages and themes that other people did, I'm like, I totally got something completely different, which is fine. But you know, this show in particular, there's so much content that I just sit there and, and I want to recall. And when I riff on this, 
this and I think about that and it's like, oh my gosh. And then Captain, uh, and then Coach Entropy is going to say something and I'm going to be like, oh my, that reminded me of this too. So this is really hard, but I try to put some of it down onto paper and I keep coming back to the underlying concept that this, that this show is is really about honesty. It's this, that was the term that kept bouncing around in my head. I think Ted's greatest skill is his ability to uh, have those people that he interacts with start to become honest with who they are to themselves. They are being honest to themselves. And thus he spreads, he helps spread that honesty in a positive way. And he words it as believe on that poster on top of his office door, but it's, it's really this ability to say and do exactly what he feels is the truth in that moment. Uh, you and I joked around, or I sent you the little picture of him going, uh, you know, I hate tea, tastes like a wet paper bag. That's him being <laughs> honest, but he covers it with humor and goofy humor and dad jokes. But this is what he uses to disarm his opponents with his charm and wit. And it's also underlying an invitation for that person to lower their defenses and engage in that same brutal honesty with him. And we see that all through season one, where he wins over one person at a time. And that's how he helps people become the best of themselves. You know, he won the team over, you know, from, you know, from high wanker to, oh my gosh, all the, you know, he, he is this amazing coach. So that undercurrent of honesty and about an individual's mental health is, is reflect both in Ted's struggles, but also in how it's addressed and overcome with all of the teammates and all of the friends that Ted makes along the way through this journey. I, you know, I had a similar concept. You, you articulated much better than I ever did. I, the word I kept coming back to was genuine, but I think I'm, I think we're saying the same thing. You know, it's genuine and honesty. They're 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 very complementary of each other, and that's one of the things I think was so magical about it. And I didn't think about this until you mentioned it. Like, you know, he was so beloved by the end of the first season, but they lost. They got relegated. I mean, the fans should have hated him right by the end. But because he touched so many lives, he didn't. It's uh, interesting how, how it all works. Now, some of it is because it's television, it's a drama, it makes it feel good. But uh, it, it just, I don't know, this is where I get caught up and I, oh, I just love the show. That's where I start to fall apart same, there. Same, It's like, it's just good. Just watch it. Yeah. Uh, Coach Entropy, why don't you tell us a little bit of your thoughts? Well, first, I'm going to comment on yours because, like I said, you you know, it, it's really hard for you to control me remotely. So. <laughs> What you said about honesty, uh, Coach Patrick, and what you said about being genuine, Coach Shag, I agree with you. I think I think that's another aspect of like the love and respect that he shows other people and himself. Is like he won't lie to people because lying is an insult, and he's he's he values them and respects them too much for that. And I, I just think that's amazing. Mm. But maybe I'm reading too much into it. But so the answer I had prepared was Ted says success is not about the wins and losses. And this matches up with what you said earlier, Coach Shag. It's about helping these young fellows be the best versions of themselves on and off the field. And so I'll agree with you. That is what the show is about. It's about people becoming better people ahead of winning. So they do become better people after some detours. And in the end, they also win because they're better. And I think that's a great lesson for all of us. So let me ask you that with, with that thought. So, because I remember very specifically him saying these young fellows be the best versions. And that makes sense for a college coach. But these are professionals. You know, was he was he wrong to go this way? There was something that you just said it, and yeah, it was a point that I was just about to make. That we were actually given the gift right in that first episode when he's sitting on the plane, and there, uh, or actually maybe it was 
when the, they were reviewing the, the news footage of him and they had just won the, the, the championship with Kansas state and he was doing his little, you know, go lasso, go dance. <laughs> and we were kind of like, wow, that's really goofy and weird, but you have to imagine. And of course it, we, as college football fans, you, we know that college football participants have a little bit of swagger. And if anything, he had to do that same thing. He had to win them over and get them to be honest and team, you know, working as a team, and we actually were given the gift of seeing, oh, this is going to be the result at the end of the season. But how do you get there from here? Is he going to be able to have that same success? We just kind of wrote it off like, yeah, uh, American football and, and English soccer, completely different things. And yet there's something about him that gets people to come together like that when they had their little exorcism and all that for Danny Rojas and all that. It, it, we get to see basically week to week that go lasso go moment. It's really uh, phenomenal. Yeah, so I agree. So Coach Beard asked the same question with a bunch of beers in front of him, um, <laughs> you know, in, in May's pub, asked the same question of Ted Lasso that you just asked. And, you know, was that appropriate for college? Shouldn't they be focused on winning now? And I don't think it's ever inappropriate to be focused on becoming better. I think that has to be a priority for all of us all the time. And I think that's his point. But I think Coach Beard had a point, too, in that part of becoming better at this point it needs to be becoming better about playing playing football, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I completely forgot that Coach Beard brought that up. I was just off the top of my head. Interesting. Well, you're you know, channeling we, we, the show because you've seen it three times now. Well, pro- probably. <laughs> and so, and what's, what's neat about that is, was the team, were they in the doldrums just because of the lackluster coaching before he got there? Or was it because it was their lack of ability to coalesce as a team? Or was it just because they were riding the back of their shining uh, star, you know, Jamie Tart. It's yes, it's amazing because things. there there were so many elements of that, it, and he had to win all of those pieces in each of those individual battles, and we saw that over ten episodes, which you know that's a lot of work for one coach. Yeah, and I think you're. I think what uh, Captain Entry said is is right. Yeah, it's all the, all those things because I mean, like Sam was trying to be a team player right there because I rewatched the first episode last night. Sam was trying to be a team player right from the beginning, but Jamie had no interest in it. So it's like each one of them had different lessons to learn, and uh, it's uh, yeah, and one of the things too it's like we've talked about this how everyone grows and gets better but I mean, one of the things about the show is like everybody's broken in the beginning everybody's yes. got a problem they're all either selfish or broken or, or just damaged or whatever and each of them get better because they're infected essentially by ted's you know what i call genuineness or honesty as you were saying or love or whichever and i love that the opening and i didn't even realize till like the i don't know the third episode or whatever that's what the opening credits are about when ted sits in the stands the chairs around him all change color he's infecting other people with with being better. He's infecting the stadium. The stadium gets cleaned up. It has graffiti everywhere, and it gets clean. I mean, that's te- the opening credits are telling you part of the story right there. And I was just when when that light bulb went off, I was like, oh my gosh! And this would yeah. be the part where one of you goes, oh my god, I didn't realize that till oh now. Oh my god, Jack. I didn't realize that. That's there amazing. Was, what, what insight? What uh, <laughs> coach of the year? Yeah, I, I think I got that on the second viewing. But okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> All Second. I could hear was Mumford going, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, w- w- one of my favorite parts of the show is the graffiti that says Roy Kent will kill your grand. <laughs> 
I don't think we've noticed that. I always see regulate Rebecca every time, yep. but I, yep. I don't know if I've seen that one. That's great. So one of the things, uh, and thanks for asking, guys, uh, that I felt like was a the theme of the show, and you guys covered a lot, so I'm just going to keep going on other ones, is the show is about also about learning to truly apologize, you know, honestly, and owning it. Because, like, this is something I don't think I learned until I was truly into adulthood. Like, I always, you know, sure, everyone says they're sorry, and everyone thinks they mean it, but, like, a true apology is never, I'm sorry, but. There's no but in apology. If you throw but at the end of that, you're just trying to continue whatever caused the grievance. You're just trying to explain yourself or continue it, and you're just putting I'm sorry in there to be nice. But an apology, and they don't they don't spell this out in the show, but you see it. Every episode, people are apologizing to each other all the time. An apology requires you to own your mistake. You've got to feel genuine regret, and you've got to recognize how you've wronged the other person. And on the other side of that, you've got to learn to accept, even when you're still hurt, you've got to learn to accept that person's honest apology so you can move forward. And I love that that's in the show a lot, because once I realized that and I start watching it, they apologize to each other all the time. And, you know, they, they say, I'm sorry. They say, I appreciate you. I mean, all of that is in there a lot. And um, I think that's an important message that, especially in this day and age where it seems like everyone wants to beat the crap out of each other, I think that's important. Yeah, I think that starts even before some of these guys get unbroken or fixed or healed or whatever. Um, you, you see some some decent apologies out of Roy Kent while he's still a really grumpy dude. Uh, contrition is a challenge. And and all those variations of what you were just saying, Shag, about the the process of apologizing, it does require either a, a verbal or an act of, you know, an act of contrition is really what that person needs to do to show the empathy to show that yes i realize that i made a mistake and the and the way that in each individual uh person that that ted interacts with over the years i mean we see it less so in seasons two and three but it's still there but in season one when you like he i mean from trent straight on through each individual person and roy i mean the smile that's on roy's face when he realizes this guy has the goods and you know there's something about him that makes me want to follow this lead so it's giving us the best qualities of, of managerial and leadership style by true and again honesty. And he's not afraid to just put everything out there. I mean, he's about our age, you know. When I, was, when I did, I know when I did the math, I'm like, okay, so he's he's clearly a Gen Xer, but he just throws out references and things like that. But he does. He clearly has a love of musical theater, and he has an ebullience that manages to captivate each person. That first initial reaction that they have is they kind of look at him ascons like what's this guy all about and then they realize that they can trust him and those walls watching the walls come down and the ability to have this contrition through their i'm sorry is to see that it's genuine uh i mean that was what was so magical about that first season wait contrition and ebullience i'm i'm making a word of the day calendar as well. <laughs> hey man that's what i'm here for i got all the four dollar words <laughs> That's what happens when you compete on Jeopardy. Ugh, some people. Goodness gracious. He meets Alex Trebek one time and wow. thinks that he's thinks he's better than all of us. That's awesome. <laughs> so uh, I want to bounce off what you said, Captain Patrick. So uh, the way he got into everyone's lives, right? The way they recognized it and changed. Would that work in real life? Or is it just work because it's fiction? Uh, it's probably, I'd say, 80-20 fiction. I mean, it, they do 
tend to wrap these up with a nice pretty bow at at the end of each one but there are still there's always this undercurrent of tension that i think we'll probably address here coming up when we talk about some of the individual characters but we we've seen that there's always especially with ted there's this whole part of him that they address periodically through stress and trauma and his own mental well-being and, uh, you know, they have to do that in such a way that it offsets some of the, the dramedy that we see otherwise, because if it was just all about him and his personal struggles, then th- th- there would be no hero's journey, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I will freely admit that it's just a TV show, but it stays with me to the point where I find I, – I don't walk around saying, what would Ted Lasso do? But it makes me want to be a better person. It genuinely and – and I'm not saying I am successful at that. I, I, I'm not a fool enough to be – you know, think, I, oh, I'm great. I'm better. No, but I, I, it makes me want to try. It makes me want to make the effort to be better at people, to be more genuine, to be more honest, to be more apologetic, and be more supportive. And I think that's tremendous that it's affected me in real life. I was impressed when just driving around and I kept seeing for the first few months, I kept seeing uh, bumper stickers on cars that said, you know, the Walt Whitman, be judgment or be curious, not judgmental. And I thought that's the lasso effect. I mean, how well that's, that's impressive that a TV show has that capability to make people do that and, and feel that same empathy and, and want to be a better person that they want to share it on a bumper sticker. Right. That's incredible. Well, and and don't we need be curious, not judgmental right now? Yeah, very much so. Very much. this episode, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I I think we're going to need it for the next couple of years, Coach Entropy, a lot. Uh, Really, we really are. So, all right, Coach Entropy, let me ask you. So, uh, Coach Patrick's brought up quite a, a couple times now the mental health issues. I mean, that's a big thing. That's a theme that they address, especially in season two, right? Uh, the mental illness, uh, the normalization of that, the emotional trauma, uh, letting people cope with it, not bottle it up. Like, do you feel like they push that uh, fairly, honestly? Or do you think it was just like a little too much rammed? Because I've seen some negative reactions to things in season two and three. Do you feel like that was fair? Do you feel like it was uh, not? quite following the uh, the plot. Well, wait, wait. First, why are you directing the mental health questions at me? What have you heard? Pat talks a lot, so I was trying to give you some airtime. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I've got trauma, man. Yeah, so I didn't know there were complaints about the, the, the detours in season two and season three and addressing mental health issues. I, I mean, and really... Mental health issues depends on what you mean. I mean, uh, maybe somebody can't be classified as having a disorder in the DSM, but everybody's got stuff they've mm-hmm. got to work through. So if you want to, if we want to call that mental health issues, then we're all walking around with them. And I didn't think any of it was a problem at all. I didn't think it was it was unrealistic. People are complex. Yeah. I agree. And and it's things like it's you know, it's it's not just Ted having the breakdowns, you're right, but like Jamie, Jamie and his dad, you know, there are deep seated issues there that okay. you're right. Maybe they don't maybe it doesn't carry a label, but it affected him. And it took a lot of effort to follow, you know, to, to experience that for us too as a viewer. So yeah, I, I didn't like some people I, I saw said they, they felt like some of it was, you know, I I don't remember their words, but they just were there were some plot elements in season two, and it wasn't just the mental health, there's other stuff too that they felt like shouldn't have been in there. But uh, I felt like it was very natural, especially especially with given how genuine they wanted the characters to be to, to address those kinds of things. Well, I mean, right, right out of the gate with that first episode where you, I, I think that's where he, he told Sam be a goldfish, right? That was the lesson that you were learning about just, just 
put it aside. Don't let it taint everything going forward. And then we, we saw that in one form or another, but every single person had to figure out a way. And, and I guess mental health is just sort of a very broad brush uh, yeah. way to say this, but yeah, there were there were individual tricks that he had to do with each person, you know, that that would get them through. I mean, Jamie, and you mentioned Jamie Tartan, his dad. So everyone had daddy issues on the show. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to know. I was going to go negative and say what were the complaints that people had. I want to hear what these issues are because I can I can feel my opposition welling up within me. But I'm I'm going to go with the Richmond way, and I'm I'm just going to let that wash over me and be a goldfish. There you go. Absolutely perfect. I love that. Uh, you know, and one more thing, and, and I don't know if this is a theme or it's just something that was in there, but the the show was great with female empowerment, like Rebecca as the lead, you know, running the the club. Even if she was a bit of an antagonist at the beginning, she really, even though she was, she kind of wasn't. And, yeah, and she, she didn't have a heart in it. Yeah, exactly. She quickly comes around, and if you watch interviews with the actress who plays Rebecca. Um, Hannah Waddingham, she is so excited about the role. She talks about how it's such an incredibly deep role, and she says these aren't the kind of things she gets cast for. So I think, and I may be misquoting, so forgive me, I want to say I think she said, you know, a woman of her stature doesn't get this kind of emotional type of role, and uh, and that's fantastic. And, like, her and Keeley's friendship is so core to me to the show, and it has nothing to do with any guys. It's just pure girls being friends and you know it passes the Bechtel test a whole bunch of times and I just think they really went out of their way to try and do that and I, I think it makes the show that much better especially when it's you know at its core it's a show about guys playing soccer you know it kind of sort of yeah absolutely coach Patrick and I are st- stunned into silence <laughs> we are we are well I, I was impressed that you managed to uh, mention the Bechdel test because there were there, I, I saw that through the lens when they would have some of that girl time yeah <laughs> I, I thought that was great it was definitely female empowerment uh, it did really well the writing was perfect for that um I think what I was saying earlier, you know, the one thing that popped in my brain afterwards was the whole show is like trying to emphasize that it's okay to not be okay in whatever form that takes. I think recognizing that in all of its different forms is is really core to what Ted Lasso's mission is, I think. And I don't even know if he's intentionally trying that. He's just he's being himself, right? You both have said so many phrases that I just want to go, yeah, that's the core of the show. But like <laughs> so many of the things you guys have said. I'm like, oh, well, wait, that is too. And that is too. And that is too. Oh, wow. It's a potpourri of beautiful stuff. (laughs) All right. So I think we've kind of hit on a lot of the themes. And I know through the rest of this conversation, we're all going to be like, oh, I forgot about this. And I forgot about this. We're going to come up with a lot more. But so let's get into some of the discussion of the characters. So I started putting together a list of characters for us to discuss. And (laughs) the guys will attest that the list just kept getting longer and longer and longer. And so I've kind of broken it down by like the main characters. uh, And then and then we've got some secondary and and tertiary type characters as well. And I feel like, uh, like I started by just looking at who's in the credits, right? Who's in the credit opening credits and there's actually a character distinction and we'll start there why not so there's a character who's in the credits and there's characters not in the credits that i felt kind of strongly about and i'm, I'm not starting with the main characters i'm starting kind of elsewhere so sam uh Abisanya, who i feel like me personally i feel like he's the heart of the team i feel like he's the emotional core of the team he's not in the opening credits whereas leslie higgins 
is in the opening credits, which I love Leslie, but I do kind of think of him as like a secondary character. So I don't know, throw it to you guys. What do you guys think of those two characters? We'll start with you, Coach Entropy. Okay, uh, so what struck me about Sam is he's probably the least broken person on the team Mm. when we first meet him, right? So he has, he still grows and gets better, but he's the guy who, who, he's not walking around with an obvious wound in any way, or even, even a big wound that we find is hidden. So that was interesting. I thought the the relationship with Rebecca was like in one sense out of left field and in the other sense it made total sense and it's mm. like she she probably needs to spend time with somebody who's that good and he and he was that good a guy while I've got the got the floor I'll talk about Higgins Higgins was one of the characters I related to the most honestly oh was, okay yeah so he because uh, your love of jazz exactly and, <laughs> and, and, and you know my soul patch right. <laughs> I hate it with a white hat passion. Yes, yes. <laughs> no, so oh, I'm sorry. He said it was a Van Dyke. Anyway, the uh, I've got to get that right, or he'll correct me. But no, so he was so genuinely caring about everybody else, and you could tell that he regretted his part in Rupert's, you know, adultery. Mm. And he he just cared about these people and uh, and his family and wanted to do the right thing. And maybe it's not even right to say that I related to him or. Identified him. He's more of an aspirational character. Interesting. Okay. See, for me, I I kind of wrote. I mean, I enjoyed Leslie's stuff, but I I don't want to say I wrote him off, but he, he just doesn't occupy a lot of time in my thoughts. Uh, whereas I felt like Sam does more for me, and again, that's why I was surprised with the credits. So, uh, Coach Patrick, I find that Higgins is this wonderful. He's a he's a functionary. You know, clearly he's just he's part of the mechanism that keeps. Richmond running behind the scenes, uh, but he's this, this teddy bear. And as we see him kind of attach on to the eccentricities that he finds in Ted, I, it's very endearing. So he's just this foil character. And, you know, and when he, when he does show his love of jazz and, and as that grows throughout the seasons, uh, it's just charming. So I, I can see why they put him in the credits, but uh, I, I would agree that, yeah, he has less of a characteristic perhaps than Sam does. And, and to what, to what coach entropy was saying that uh, I totally agree. Sam is the least broken character there. And the other factor is he is one of the few that is not afraid to vocalize and follow up on things that he wants. So he wanted Rebecca. We saw him turn around and go ask her out, that kind of thing. And then when he wanted a restaurant, you know, he he made it happen. And then when issues and obstacles came up with that, he got around those. So he's not afraid to go what he go for what he wants. Now is that because that was always in him or because that's life lessons that he learned from from Beard and Lasso? It's because he had a good relationship with his dad, unlike everybody else. <laughs> That's yeah. true. Actually, very healthy. Yeah. His dad was awesome. Well, yeah, he was. We're talking about secondary characters. I thought he was great. The whole Dubai Air thing was like was also a preview of how Sam was going to stand up for, for what he wanted and what he thought was right. So that was all good. Exactly. Maybe I should change my thing. Maybe he, maybe Sam's not the heart of the team. Maybe he's the conscious of the team. I don't know. My my favorite Higgins moment, though, is, is uh, in season two. Carol the Bells. It is the episode where they all end up at his house for yes. Christmas. They have all the players at his house, and he's just he, yep. he he's so touched by all this and the fa- sense of family. And I like I love that he has a big family. They're very minor, but I love to, that moment when you just you're looking down the table at all the players, and Higgins is so happy to have them there, and he just feels so full. And uh, that that's a good Higgins moment. Not not just a table, a surfboard, and oh, that's uh, right. yeah. that, a surfboard that was classic. And uh, the fact that they had this massive. Nerf gun 
battle and at Christmas. I just, yeah, that's one of my favorites too. Yep. That's a great one. I'll give you one more Higgins moment, which is when he's in front of Coach Beard and making him question his relationship with Jane out of genuine concern for the man. And Coach Beard got that and appreciated it. And and that was awesome. But the, the way he says, you're a great man, does she make you greater? I was like, wow. So Coach Beard, interesting character, fascinating guy. He's the assistant coach of a losing football team in England from America. You know, he, he was specifically brought in as as part of the of the plan to to make them lose. Higgins genuinely believes he's a great man, and I appreciate that. Well, that makes a great transition. So, Coach Beard, so interesting character. You know, it's sort of an enigma at first, and then a weird one, and then by season two, he gets a whole episode to himself, right? Beard after hours, and you're like, "Whoa, this is oh crazy, crazy <laughs> bottle episode." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was great. And then, and then by the end, you know, where he stays, and we find out his history, why Ted brought him on board, you know, and the his past, and why he's so loyal to Ted. What an interesting character. So, um, entropy. You've said a little bit on him. Uh, Patrick, why don't you talk about Coach Beard? Uh, quite possibly my favorite character, um, just wow. because because of that enigma. that And and the payoff was worth it there in the, in the final two episodes when he gave you his super secret backstory. And up to that point, it all had been like, oh, he's just – he's Jane's little do-boy and, oh, they're together. They're apart. Whatever. But there was always this, what's going on with Coach Beard? And that payoff beyond the piggy stardust was just brilliant. <laughs> so let me jump in, too. So I, I loved the backstory because I loved the fact that he was judging Nate and it was something that he had he had been guilty of. And, I, and really, that's why he hated seeing it in somebody else. That was amazing. The fact that he was the guy who was literally learning soccer. He was he was studying soccer the, the way that that you studied baseball, Shag, mm-hmm. you know, and until he got it right. And uh, and he was a he was a tactician, he, you know, and he he made himself learn to be that. So and, and yeah, and his his special episode was was amazing. Oh, the other thing that occurred to me about the show uh, on his episode is that it doesn't let you really vilify anyone. Maybe Rupert, but the but but even that was 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 uh, with caveats, right? So like the, even the guy who's chasing Beard to kill him because you know he was alone with his wife. You know, by the end, he's turned into the good guy who's rescuing him. Like there's there's nobody on the show who is a cardboard character. That dude's at Beard's wedding yeah. <laughs> in the final episode. Just crazy. Yeah. I, one thing about Beard that I love is is more so his relationship with Ted, and not so much the, the loyalty part, but because it shows two middle aged men that work together, but also are genuinely friends. You know, watching them have a beer after work, watching them have coffee in the morning. Those moments. Uh, it, it makes me just appreciate the friends I have. And it's like, yeah, that's that's a picture of two middle-aged guys that have known each other so many years. They're just comfortable with each other. And they get each other. And, you know, Pat, why can't you be a better friend, by I the wait, way? Well, I mean, right out, of the, <laughs> right out of the gate on the plane when he's, like, leaning over, you know, Lasso's like, hey, why don't we both take a nap together and maybe we'll meet up in our, in our <laughs> dreams. I'm like, okay, that's weird. But, man, that's very touching in a, in a very non-sort of homoerotic way that was that was that's that's true friendship right there yeah Yeah. it really is okay so captain you mentioned beard's relationship with nathan so that this is a big one now we're starting to get into some big character arcs here characters so nathan shelley right 
wow, the wonderkind starts off as the kit man, goes on to become a coach, assistant coach, goes on to become his own coach of a whole team, then back to assistant kit man. A little weird there. Journey. I think we start with you, Coach uh, Entropy, before. Is that right? So maybe throw it to Coach Patrick this time. I don't know if yep, I've got yep. that mixed up or not. Nope. Let's do it. Uh, no, that's fine. Uh, yeah, he was – he had the cringe factor for me because they started from the first season forward when you saw – how he was working his way up as like, wow, this is a great affirmation of, of what Ted's doing. And then they just totally pivot and you start to see it eat that success starts to eat away at him in, in all of season two, to the point where it comes to a head and, and he's, he's being honest with Ted, all of these things that we did not see as an undercurrent of jealousy, of rage, of, of insecurity, just all get unleashed at the end of season two. And, we vilify him. That was hard for me because I, I did enjoy that character, but it was very hard for me from a story point for them to just instantly make him. But I guess it was plausible in the fact that he, he had these skills and Rupert was going to use him as a pawn in this greater scheme. And it seemed to work out, but it did not advance his story in the way that I thought it would. And that just made my expectations for the final season with his redemption arc even higher. And to that, I was a little disappointed. Yeah. Why is you coach entry? I, I wasn't disappointed with any part of Nathan's story because I appreciated the fact that they had him go down such a dark road and, and, and really become a bad guy. And I thought the way that they showed him doing it, um, where he became wrapped up in his own ego and oversensitive and needing the adulation, and especially as, as a response to someone, you know, he had grown up and even into his adult life, he was taking abuse, you know, and bullying from people. And when he, when he got put in a position of power, he started to do the same thing. And I think that's that's a very human frailty. So, but he was at his core somebody who knew that the difference between right and wrong. And when Rupert pushed him too far, he just kind of snapped back. And it still took him some time to to get the gumption up to go make that you know that apology uh, to do the contrition thing well. But and 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 it took a lot of pushing from Jade. But it was just a great story. And the, and the fact that his hair turns white over mm-hmm. turns white. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Was like yeah. you know. He's he's taking damage and damage doesn't go away. Like you, you know, his his hair follicles don't suddenly get the dye back. You know, <laughs> the, uh, I, I just I appreciated that lesson. There, there's a huge debate on that, and and I'm glad that you and I have slightly different uh, opinions on this. I think the contrition was there, but my my fault was not so much in Nathan and his and and calling Rupert on that and doing that. I thought that was great, and and that gave him the opportunity to move home and and. And rekindle things with his his father, especially. But I think it was the shorthand and or the shortcut that they took, where a lot of this just happened in between episodes, and all yeah. of a sudden, you know, like, and we learned about it in a, in a news clipping. I'm like, eh, that just seems a little too easy for me. Yeah, I think that was true of a lot of things on the show that people complained about. Oh, I would have liked to have seen that happen. I was just along for the ride. They didn't show me what happened. That's fine. Show me the next thing. But understand the I understand the complaint, and I think there were a lot of people who had a lot more issues than you have about about that, especially in the third season when it seemed like there were big jumps. But one last thing I'll say about uh, Nate is when McAdoo made him pay five thousand dollars for all the practicing. <laughs> That he in games that he missed, it was um, because the message of that was you were part of the team the whole time. There was never a break, mm. you, you, and so it was basically saying 
you're still family. You always were family. And really, he was happy to pay it because it was like, this is, oh, good. I get to do a penance, you know? No, I, I hadn't thought of it that way. That's a good point because I just watched that one last night where he, where he does that to him because everyone else is paying 100, you know, or 50 or whatever. And suddenly it's 5,000 and he doesn't bat an eye. It's like, that's fair, you know, and he's probably got the bank from working for Rupert yeah. for a while there too. Yeah. So with Nathan, there's a lot there. Um, you guys touched on a whole bunch of it. I'll just sort of follow up on it. I did feel well, like you're supposed to ask what you think too. I'm sorry. Yeah, Shaq. I was, yeah, Shaq, what do you think about this well, one? Yeah. Thanks for thinking of me, guys. Uh, so I feel like his, his turn to, we'll call it evil for the sake of the conversation. Conversation. I feel like his turn to evil was pretty organic. Like I felt like we saw it happen. I felt like they let it play out long enough that it didn't feel like a quick keel turn. So I liked that. Patrick and I, we've talked a little about our friend Carlin, and, and, I, and I'm going to try and encapsulate Carlin's feelings on this. I, I may get it wrong, so I apologize if I do. But I think Carlin was saying he was seeing in the show where he felt like Ted caused some of this, and that Ted was so invested in Nathan in season one. And then by season two, Nathan's part of the team, and it's almost like Ted took him for granted, or maybe even abandoned him a little bit, or just paid more attention to other people, because he was trying to help those people, so Nathan suddenly felt isolated. You know, he felt like, you know, Ted really swooped into his life, but then backed off. And so some of that came from that. Uh, And again, maybe I've misstated that some, the theory. I don't know. I apologize if I did. I think Nate basically says that. I mean, he doesn't doesn't say it that well because he's saying it from the perspective of the wounded guy, but... That's how it felt. And I think really like he, he felt like Ted showed up in his life and paid him all this attention and put him up on a pedestal. And I think part of the reason that Ted didn't realize he was taking Nate for granted or leaving him alone is that that's just how Ted treated everybody. Mm -hmm. He didn't think he was fixing somebody who was broken. He was just treating him well. Yeah. There is a hint of a parasocial relationship there where, you know, he was looking for a substitute for his own issues with his father. And Ted was the natural surrogate father. And when it did when he did say, Okay, you're on your own now, you're you're part of the team and you can handle this, and he was focused on his energies on his own issues, then yeah, that's when he got accused by Nate of just abandonment, which none of us saw. You know, it was it was not that, it was just misinterpreted by Nate. Yeah. Oh, wait, I wrote down parasocial. Okay, good. Go ahead. <laughs> to, Coach that's, that's <laughs> to Coach Patrick's point, uh, the redemption arc is the one I had the trouble with. I agree. In season, it almost felt like maybe the original plan was to have four seasons or something to give Nate more of a chance. Like, I really, I don't know. I feel like I did miss a big moment where Nate stood up to Mannion and said, you know, no, I'm not going to do it that. That's wrong. And, and walk out. And so, or maybe I missed an episode. I don't know. But uh, I feel like I did miss that moment. So I felt like maybe they thought they had more time to let the Nate story play out. And then they had to very quickly wrap it up. Like also him coming back to Richmond. I mean, I like that they took a little time with that, but then making him assistant kit man, like that, <laughs> it was cute. But here's a guy who was the coach of a professional, you know, football league, being the assistant to the guy who just puts out the towels and washes jock straps. It didn't quite sit. Right. You know, if they brought him on as, I don't know, a special teams coach or, you know, I don't know, some role they made up for him, I would have bought more than him just doing that. It- I bet he asked for it. it. I mean, to me, it reminds me of the prodigal son story where the kid comes back and says, look, I just want to work for you. I don't need, I don't have to be your son anymore. And I mean, and of course he gets accepted as a son anyway, but to me, I think Nate really learned what humility was. And I think he wanted to 
to live that. Yeah. And I would have liked to have seen that discussion, I think. So sure. again, I just feel like maybe we got ran out of time there. So a lot of things got wrapped up quickly in season three. Yeah. Speaking of running out of time, oh my gosh, we gotta get going here. All right. So Jamie Tart. Jamie Tart 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 Tart. Jamie Tart. What a journey that what a journey that guy's had. Go ahead. Yeah, and 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 there's so much there to unpack that I'm just going to give you three little quick vignettes of my favorite moments with Jamie Tart that I think encapsulate everything. One is the the end of season one where he gets the note from Ted saying, you know, it's a, a heck of a kick, you know, great job. And he gives him the, the army man. Brilliant because the look on Jamie's face, you know, I've, I've never seen Phil Dunster act in anything before, but you could just see all of it. This world just come crashing down of like, oh my gosh, you know, I've betrayed the person who believed in me the most. And then, and later, you know, we see his relationship with Roy grow and, and two true kindred brothers, brotherhood. Uh, I, I loved that when they were in Amsterdam together, yeah. just seeing all that. <laughs> and, and then uh, finally in season three, when he gave us the best line ever, uh, and the, the use of the word poope. So, <laughs> those, those are my Jamie Tart moments, but just a brilliant story. Oh, those are great. Oh, what about you, Coach Entry? Loved all of that, but in, in the interest of brevity, um, and because I think everybody knows what was so awesome about watching Jamie Tart, one of my favorite things was seeing his dad in rehab at the end. Mm, okay. Yeah. That was very, yeah, that was moving. It really was. Uh, for me, it was, and I loved, I, I love Guy Gardner in the Justice League International comic books because he's the jerk. And Jamie is essentially the Guy Gardner of this team. And so I love that. I love that he had a, an incredible journey. What a journey for that guy. And for me, it was season two when he's fighting his own inst- like you think he's a better guy you know in season 1 but then it all falls apart so in season 2 watching him try to be a better person and screwing up and 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 boneheadingly not even knowing doing it the wrong way and then learning from it like i just loved watching that journey of him trying to be a better person and yeah. sometimes screwing up royally i love the whole love island or whatever that i think was in the beginning <laughs> that was hysterical so uh, he was a great character and sadly I I did not – well, maybe I was better off for it. I did not know the Baby Shark song until after I learned uh, wow. Jamie Tart. How did, how did I, you miss that? I so, thought it was the JLMA song. Right. Oh, never speak of that. Uh, and uh, it, it, Once I heard the real song, I'm like, what? Blew my mind. All right, so up next, I'll take the first shot of this one. Roy Kent. Who, oh, Roy Kent. Oh. Who, after the first season, I boldly declared he's my spirit animal. I love the F word, folks. I mean, I, lo- <laughs> I, I take the F word and tuck it under my pillow at night. I mean, I love that word. So hearing him use it as much as he did on the show just brought me so much joy. <laughs> and I still laugh every time. Uh, and what an interesting journey there, too, to go from the gruff guy to – after watching several episodes again last night, I really do like him better on the coaching staff than I liked him as a player. I feel like yeah. he fits much better. I feel like he found his home there. So um, I don't remember who's going first. So I'll just throw it to you, Entropy. Roy Kent. Okay. Uh, I, I love Roy Kent for all the reasons everybody does. I love the old jokes. Um, yeah. And I love the way he kind of rolls into that. And, you know, we're all middle-aged men here. Like I was, I was, and he's probably, I don't know, 12, 15 years younger than us. In this show. <laughs> <laughs> but, years it's the mileage right yeah, it, well yeah but i but i felt that I, that that walk he does where he's holding his knee and trying to put it back together I, i've done that 
So that was cool. I love the moment where he meets Jamie Tart's mom. Mm. Um, I, I thought that was really funny. But my my favorite uh, Roy Kent moment. Uh, oh, okay. Wait a minute. Before I say that, his niece's teacher and the conversations they have are awesome. She was impressive. And he is so deliciously oblivious. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And uh, I can't remember what. Oh, she called. She called her classmates unmotivated little s word f word something like that and, <laughs> uh, um and he's he said are they she's, well, oh yeah absolutely <laughs> so uh, so that was great the uh apathetic that was what it was anyway um, but my favorite moment is the press conference where he's trying to make the point that none of us know what's going on in anybody else's life. Mm, and mm-hmm. he tells that story about when he was basically Jamie Tart and yeah. an older player on the team beat the tar out of him and uh, gave him a proper beating. And I just, I, because of that, I know we're going to get to talking about spinoffs, but because of that, I can see him as head coach. Mm, okay. All right. Coach Patrick? Well, for all those reasons and more, of course, and and, and the, the significant fact that Brett Goldstein, as a, a co-writer and producer on the show, is just this amazing actor for what had, I mean, he wrote Roy Kent and they're like, we can't cast anybody but you for this. <laughs> so, you know, he's like, okay. And the, the, we, we've got a cat. Her, her name is Phoebe. So I get to do that all the time now for the last three years. <laughs> like, Phoebe, get off the couch. Um, it, it, just that, that gruff demeanor. I mean, it, what, what can you not love about the growls? And the, and it's just his, his emoting of, of this world weary football player who has been to the top of the mountain probably did not appreciate it at the time and now is looked down as an as an unwilling or an unexpected mentor uh, and when he, when he walks on that field season two episode five rainbow to the rolling stones this quite possibly did i did i say coach beard with my favorite character okay it's a tie it's it's, it's, it's Kent. <laughs> So yeah, there's just so much in every episode. He gives so much that uh, I mean, I, I, he is the show. And like Coach Andrew says, if there's a spinoff where he's the coach of of Richmond, I am there. I will get it. So that that Rainbow episode, I watched that one last night too. That's I, I hate to keep. I, I will want to say this about every episode, but I think it may be one of my favorite episodes or or my favorite. I just because we're all rom communists, man. Exactly. Yes. I mean, the whole Jerry Maguire thing of him trying to get there and all the lines. I mean, they're just absolutely hysterical. And then props to Carlin who put this in my head. I the Roy and Phoebe together is like some of the greatest magical television pairings ever. And yes. I I just want to see. More and more of Roy and Phoebe. Uh, spinoff wise, I mean, we're throwing them here and here and there. I, I think we could have an annual Christmas episode that's just the adventures of Roy and Phoebe. I would totally be down for that. I would watch it every year. I don't think we need a full gone series, but at least once a year would be a great sort of annual thing. Well, and I and I loved the seeking out of the dentist. That was awesome. yes. And that oh, bo- that bozo yes. that bozo kid with the ussy that just keeps <laughs> showing up in everyone's lives, and he was there for that too. And uh, yeah, that kid's never going to fail. He just I don't know. He seems to me like one of those people with a charmed life. <laughs> so if we're going to talk about Roy, we obviously have to talk about Keeley Keeley oh, Jones. Nice. Uh, for me, I'll go. Uh, I'll just yeah. say uh, the most unexpected character for me to like. I didn't think I was going to like her at all from the beginning. I thought I was like, oh, she's going to be irritating. She's got the squeaky voice. Oh, she's obviously supposed to be the hot girl. Blah blah blah. 
I love this character, and I'll, I'll say more about it later. But let's uh, let's. I, I I've lost track of who's going. Who you guys tell me who goes first this time? I believe it's Entropy's turn first. All right. Okay. So yeah, I love Keely. Everybody does, but but I think the big thing is that Keely loves everybody. And and there's a point where where Nate gets the signals wrong, and he and he kisses her, and. It's completely plausible because she's so affectionate with everyone and that's just who she is. And she tells you what she thinks is great about you. And I just, I think she would, she would be, even if she weren't hot, she would be a wonderful person to be around. Um, I like you, Shag. I, I mean, Keely was just one of those things. Is like, okay, I had to try to sit there and figure out, okay, what is her purpose in this story? Not, I'm not discounting what she was in there for, but it was such a joy to watch her growth external to the team but still part of that family through the the various relationships that she had and uh, i just watching her relationship with rebecca grow and making her more assertive and more self uh self-sufficient and successful and and everything that went on in in season three i think they rushed it a little bit just from a writing standpoint but again i i, I think we were all unsure of are we going to get a fourth season out of this or is this it so they were they were kind of working their way through the paces a lot faster but the fact that that she is the the uh, hotel concierge video girl for all of these hotels <laughs> throughout europe is just brilliant i love that joke i think and i'm probably gonna regret saying this because i'll say oh no wait so and so i think the actress uh juno temple i think she may have the best comedic timing of anyone in the show like the way she delivers her lines the body language the expressions the timing of it now a lot of this to the writers certainly because they were so witty but she is just genuinely hilarious like that in i guess it's the first second episode when she pulls up in the car is roaring she hops out and she immediately says would you rather be a lion or a panda like i've watched that clip probably 10 times i don't know it's just so funny and and i'll and now okay you mentioned the the arc there i gotta mention so roy and keely together as a couple right we should probably talk about that so questions for you guys should they be together or not um they're not at the end you know they're that they they end not together and for me I'll, i'll since i brought it up i'll just say i think they're better together and whereas i felt like nate's turn to evil was organic I feel like the breaking up of Keeley and Roy was more plot-driven. I felt like it just happened because they needed some sort of subplot to hang season three on. I didn't feel like it was natural. I don't know. What do you think, uh, Coach Patrick? I agree. I I think, you know, they, they had the, what was it, the little Jaguar statue in her office when they're, you know, they're packing everything up and she's uh-huh. like, hey, I need I need you to take a break. And, and I thought that was very heavy-handed. I, I just, it did not seem organic at all. I mean, I think you know everything they'd led up to for several episodes was like wow this is this is a wonderful couple they love each other and then she's like eh, i don't know if this is what i want and he was like i don't know if I, this is what i want and and they just made it by fiat you know it's just a breakout by fiat you feel the same entropy or you feel different uh, maybe a little different i mean because you know I, I read comic books i can make excuses for any inconsistency <laughs> but the it, it did seem abrupt i agree but I think they were also both scared because this seemed so natural so quickly that I, I think they were a little surprised by that and it and it caused them to back off. But the weird thing is that for the rest of the time when they're not together, 
they're also not not together. I mean, they yeah. are, if you've ever seen those couples that like, you know, when they break up or, you know, that the, the, the ex-girlfriend or the ex-boyfriend who always seems totally comfortable around this person that they used to go out with, or, or, you know, or even some divorce couples are like this because they've spent so much time with one another. That's, that's what they seem like to me. Like they're still, they're still kind of family, even if they're not together. And honestly, they were still clearly attracted to one another. I mean, that's certainly a healthier way for it to happen. Uh, and I, we would all love for that to be that way in real life, right? Where, you know, an X where you can still have a, maintain a good friendship. So, I mean, there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah. I thought her and Jack were interesting together. That was her boss. Uh, yeah. But, I, I mean, everyone at home, everyone at home was like, oh, you never sleep with your boss. Don't sleep with your boss. Don't sleep with, never <laughs> sleep with your boss. Don't sleep with your boss. Oh, don't sleep with your boss. You slept with your boss. Mistakes were made. So we didn't feel that way about Sam, though, right? And I mean, I don't know if that's just because, wow, Rebecca, or um, because we knew Rebecca needed a good man in her life or what. But I saw trouble on the horizon, but it wasn't such a glaring klaxon alarm with a flashing red light as it was with, with Jack and Keelan. Actually, it was for me. Uh, I, maybe I wasn't really? been in management for too long, but I was just like, no, Sam. I mean, as much as I like emotionally wanted Sam and her to get together, I, well, I, I knew management wise, like, no, 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 Rebecca, don't do this. Like, actually, if, I, I didn't mind Sam as much. Like, go for it, Sam. But Rebecca, I'm like, Rebecca, don't do this. You're going to regret this. This nothing good can come of this. You're, it's an employee. Don't sleep with an employee. <laughs> and to be fair, the whole Jack Keeley thing, I had less of an issue with just because the way they explained her, she was a capital investor for Keeley's company. So I never got that there was this true management boss kind of thing. Yeah, she controlled the purse strings, but she was just a truly an investor into Keeley's vision of a PR agency. So I think there was a little more uh, latitude on that. It's, it's not nearly as constrained as Rebecca and a Sam kind of relationship where she's, she owns the company and he's part of the team that she owns. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it really sounds like it's the same thing, but I think from an investment standpoint, it's, it's, it's not as managerial as it, would seem on paper, I guess. I don't know. Well, that's, that's fair. To, but that's fair. And then also as a viewer, we saw Sam and Rebecca grow together, you know, first in, in, a, in a working relationship, then kind of friends and then more. Whereas Jack walks in the door and she was trying to seduce Keeley like on day two, you know, so it was like that instantly also sends up a red flag, like, huh, new boss trying to seduce an employee right away. Uh, she's probably done this before. She's probably gone through a few people like this before. Maybe that's not the healthiest thing. I don't know. And there was there was clearly some some caustic retribution there when she didn't get what she wanted. Yeah. Keely started to pull back and then she made her life miserable. So yeah. Yeah. Quick question. So everybody knew that Sam was on banter talking to this mystery woman. And then he started dating Rebecca secretly. What did he tell the teammates? Hmm. Did they know Sam was hooking up with anyone? I don't know. I mean, the, the, but they knew that they knew the mystery woman thing. They yeah. he got the special haircut to go meet the mystery woman. Right. No, right. Right. I mean, I guess he could have just told him it didn't work out and that was it. And then they never picked up on the fact that he was him and Rebecca would disappear into closets. I don't know. Yeah. Huh. I can't, I can't imagine what a team of self-centered individuals would do if, uh, if one person didn't follow up on that story. I don't know. <laughs> so we've talked a lot about Rebecca. Let's, let's, let's tackle that. So Rebecca Welton, you know, the, the statuesque, uh, amazing, fierce, powerful. Like I, I love, there's a moment in uh, one of the episodes where she's teaching Nathan how to be strong and she's explaining how she makes herself feel brave and courageous. And she does the lion thing where she like, she bends down, she comes up and goes, Rah! 
puts her hands up. <laughs> and Keely immediately goes, F, you're a, F word, you're amazing. Let's invade France. Like, she's so <laughs> impressed with Rebecca's power that she's like, we could do anything. We could take over another country. Let's do it. And that's what Re- Rebecca is like a force of nature. She's great. So, um, Entropy, you first. What do you think? I don't know what to add to what you've said. I mean, she's she's also a compelling actress. Like, you yeah. want to watch her when she's on the screen. And, you know, she's not 25 years old. She's almost our age. She's actually, I think, taller than I, I have not met Co- Coach Patrick, but I think she's taller than either one of us. That's fair. And actually, I, when I get on Patrick's shoulders and we put on one big trench coat to look like one guy and sneak into a movie, she's still taller than us. <laughs> she's imposing. She's impressive. She's compelling. She's she's lots of gerunds or participles. I can't remember. <laughs> She, uh, I mean, she is such a broken individual right out of the gate, and mm-hmm. and we follow that journey of why she's broken, and and we boo and hiss the whole time, and we we see what an evil person Rupert is, and which is hard for those of us that that love Anthony Hayd from Buffy all these years. Giles! Oh my my gosh, what an ass! Um, But he did a great job. Oh god, he did. He sold it so well. But we see all of those things that have broken her that she's put up with in one form or another, and it's going to take a lot for her to get past that. And and her way was to weaponize it against Ted, unfortunately. But when we see that growth in season two and three, and and through friendship and love and and reaching out and, and amending things with with Leslie, it, it's just it takes so many forms. And that Christmas episode, I think, where we get to see what she does every year. Rupert kind of did it as a tax write-off, and she does it out of true love and compassion for fellow man. It is just one of those things that that an actress like her can really sell because <laughs> her relationship with Keely, even. And I was gonna when you said that about what Keely said. Uh, the 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 f bomb, she as an actress, she does that reaction with that drop in that f bomb better than anyone I've ever seen. <laughs> British TV, it's great. F me, <laughs> it's, it's wonderful. So I love Rebecca. Is her confidence in in again showing her in a position of power where she's the boss, which is great in in television. You don't kind of see that kind of role. And it's interesting. I, Rebecca's definitely broken, but I don't know that her journey. I'm off the top of my head here. I don't know that her journey is as far as some other people's because I get the sense that she actually is a good person already, but she's hurting so much that she's trying to do something bad that she knows is wrong. She knows it's wrong, and she doesn't actually want to do it. She doesn't want to do it to everyone on the team. She doesn't want to do it to to Ted and everyone else. She just wants to hurt Rupert. Her real personality was kept in a box for like six years, right? That's how long she didn't talk to Sassy and 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 uh, Sassy's daughter, and then and then the d- divorce happens, and that messes her up. And it's I agree with you. I think she's really just becoming who she used to be. Yeah, I think so. I, I think the the evilness from season one is not an act, but it's something she's forcing herself to do, and she's not comfortable with it. So, like you said, we get it starts to sneak out. We get to see the real Rebecca that's there, and she gets to refine the real Rebecca. Or what, what, what is what does Sassy call her? I can't remember. Stinky. Stinky, that's right. <laughs> and, and truly, it was just biscuits with the boss. That brought the whole wall down. <sighs> oh my gosh. The whole world went nuts for that. I mean, if you hear, if you watch interviews with her, she talks about how biscuits with the boss has become a worldwide phenomenon now. Uh, I That's amazing. I work from home, so I can't bring my boss biscuits, but I, I would. <laughs> but every time you eat a cookie, you're doing it. That's true. <laughs> 
All right. And then the the other main character we haven't talked about yet is Ted. Ted Lasso himself. Coach Patrick, what do you think? See, you put me on the spot like this. I don't I don't know what I can add. I mean, we we he was the core of the show. There are times I absolutely loved his character. There were times I'm like, eh, they're getting some lazy writing on him. But I think all of his pop culture references as a guy who does this, this is how I try to disarm and charm people is dropping the, you know, the little Rick Astley, this and that and the other, or something from Broadway. He Jason Sudeikis as as creating this character if he had done this just as the a one-off like he did with the nbc sports stuff that would have been cool but the fact that they managed to flesh it out into three seasons uh, is a testament to the depth that he created for this character beyond the the surf the surficial stuff there's another word for you but <laughs> I, yeah I mean, what what do you say i mean it's the whole show so this is why we're talking about it but he's a wonderful character there, I quibble sometimes, but I mean, I will, I will always remember how good I felt the moment he said barbecue sauce and threw the bullseye. Yes. So yeah. that, I mean, that in a nutshell, that's the whole series for me right there. Be curious, not judgmental. Coach Entropy. Uh, so first off, I have to say, Ted constantly reminds me of my best friend back in Alabama, Calvin, who is that quick-witted and that kind, and and he just just reminds me that he is a blessing. The next things I think. I genuinely appreciated that Ted, as you know, he's this emissary of genuineness. That's the word again, honesty, love, all these things we've talked about of, of making people better. And he is also broken and he also goes through this. And it's like, he's not a Mary Sue character that everything is perfect. And he just, you know, he brings his perfection to everybody else and makes their lives better. He's, he's on the journey with them. And I really respected that and appreciated that the writers made that part of it. And I loved, I loved the Amsterdam episode entirely. We may talk about that more, but, but his time in that like faux American restaurant, the, the <laughs> American equivalent of, of Outback Steakhouse, I guess, was, I, I just, I've had times like that where I was trying to get a breakthrough and it hit. And when, you know, when you're dealing with a whole bunch of stuff at the same time and basically hallucinating, which I don't want to say whether that's ever happened or not. But anyway, I just thought that was a great episode. Yeah, but that's it, the the power of three. Three is a magic number. Yes, Spider Man taught me. <laughs> uh, like Pat, I'm not sure there's much else I can say that we haven't all already said. I mean, uh, inspirational, aspirational. Uh, may, again, I've already said, makes me want to be a better person. He does his actions. His the the dialogue they give him is some of the funniest bits in the world. Some of the greatest dad jokes of all time come out of that character, and the journey he goes on is fantastic. I, the the be curious, not judgmental. That's one of the another one of the episodes I watched last night, and that scene in the darts is one of the greatest moments of the whole series. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just when I, I would when, say in in television itself, that is that is a defining crowning moment right there. It's amazing. It is, it is incredible. And when he's throwing the last dart and oh, wow. And uh, so I, again, I, I, I'm going to ramble if I, I try to go on further. So I don't know well, that I'm going w- to. Would you say, Shang, that, that this character brings us all joy? I would say that this character brings us all joy. I would absolutely say that. <laughs> All right, so folks, there are a million other characters in the show, and each one of them are fantastic and valid and have a place. We're going to say a little bit about some of them. We're going to leave out, we we may leave out your favorite, and I'm sorry if we do, but we're going to do some rapid fire. Uh, If I could do that finger snap thing the Ussie guy does, I I can't do that. Um, We're going to go through these rapid fire. We'll start with one word. If you got to add more, do it, but uh, we'll we'll go through rapid fire. So um, the order, just for the sake of sanity here, I'm not going to go back and forth each time, so we'll 
just go Coach Patrick first, then Coach Entropy, then me. Is that fair? Sure. I'm in charge. It's fair. Look at that. Okay. So here we go. Danny Roja. Life. <laughs> Joy. Football. <laughs> uh, Trent Krim. Mysterious. Honest. That hair. That hair. <laughs> <laughs> I love that hair. Yeah. So Trent Krim, when he interviewed Ted and and then turned in that newspaper article, which was against what everybody else in the country was thinking, and he just doesn't care. He's his own guy. And then when he, he revealed his source to Ted and got fired for it, still didn't care. You know, found another way to, to do his own thing and be him. He didn't he wasn't attached to anything. He's just being himself and 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 trying to do the right thing. And I respected that. And and as it turns out, as we found out, this whole thing was his story, you know, the Richmond story, which yeah. I thought was a brilliant twist at the end. Yeah, I love I love Trent. Trent was possibly my favorite secondary character, but he's my second favorite secondary character. We'll get to the other one in a minute. Uh, okay, Doctor Sharon Fieldstone, underused. Mm, okay, also mysterious. Uh, I this is not one word, but sh- I think she brought the emotions forward. She let them tell the story in the second season about emotions they needed to tell, and I think she was critical to that. So yeah, Phoebe, which is Roy's niece. <laughs> it's actually two words, but I'm going to say it as one: swear jaw. <laughs> <laughs> Adorable. Precocious. I, I just adore her. I heard Roy so good. Okay, uh, Rupert Mannion. By the way, okay, got to point out, Rupert Mannion, Rupert Giles. I kind of wonder if that's on purpose. But anyway. I can't imagine that it wasn't, yes. Uh, evil. <laughs> Vader. Ooh. So I, I wanted to add to what I was saying about Rupert. So he flirts with becoming a better guy through the series. And then by the end, everything is going wrong for him. And he just, he he almost like self-consciously becomes a villain. And at the end, he's actually walking up and and and, and hitting that other coach. He's, he's dressed in a long black leather coat and all black. He looks like Darth Vader. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That coat's on purpose. It's supposed to look like an evil cape. No doubt that. <laughs> Uh, for me, I would say versatility. And I don't mean for Rupert. I actually mean the actor. Uh, I've seen him in so many roles. And he yeah, he plays the cute, charming British guy, you know, sort of in the in the coffee commercials, right? But every role is so different that he's done. I mean, you would never look at Rupert Mannion's portrayal and then look at Giles and think it's the same guy. I mean, it's like a night and day. And uh, wow, what an actor. Um, if we're going to talk about Rupert, uh, anything about Bex? Ah, Bex. Ah, Bex. Um, a clone would be the word I use. Okay. Okay. I can't do this in one word, Shag. So yeah. the the moment where Bex and Rupert's existent, who probably has a name that I can't remember, and they show up at Rebecca's door, uh-huh. and it's just this, you know, this moment of kind of defeat, but also kind of triumphant sisterhood where they've all been done wrong by the same man and and they've kind of done each other wrong and they're still going to team up. And I thought that was great. Oh, that's her best moment. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and um, unfortunately, I would say uh, my one word would probably be tool. And I don't mean that in a mean way. I mean that everyone was using her as a, as a weapon or a tool against each other. You know, Rupert yeah. used her against uh, Rebecca. Jamie Tart was using her, you know, and just uh, unfortunate. It was unfortunate that she was treated that way. Um, all right. Our new team captain, Isaac McAdoo. Strength. Good lad. Oi! <laughs> I just love when he yells at people and things like that or, or breaks the television. <laughs> uh, Colin Hughes. Brave. Yeah. Strong and capable man. 
I, I, I don't have one better than you, Pat. Brave. I'm gonna, I'm gonna echo yours. That's exactly what I was thinking, especially in that last episode. May, May from the pub. Ah, uh, stalwart is my word, but I'm just gonna take a moment here because, and I'm not sure if you know this, Shag. I probably do, but this is our tie-in with Doctor Who because uh, May is played by the wonderful Annette Badland who was one of the Slovene invaders from the first season of New Who. So uh, when I saw her uh, at the at the bar at the pub, I was like, oh my gosh, the Slovene! <laughs> but I, I thought that was great. And uh, so I had to tie it back into Doctor Who for you. Well, Roy Kent has been in Doctor Who, and uh, so has, of course, Rupert Mannion. So both of them have been Doctor Who as well, by the way. And of I'm course. sure some of the other yeah. cast have as well. Oh, yeah. Captain Entropy? I'm just going to say strong. Okay. She held the standard uh, for behavior in that pub and, and to some degree, even on the team. And, you know, and she came across as tough, but she still managed to be welcoming. Hmm. Okay. Uh, my word for May is Richmond. She is the town or village or whatever it was of Richmond. She was the heart of the town. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah no matter how much they failed, she was always there for them. Yeah. Yes. And the last of the, and again, there's a million other characters we could be talking about. Barbara Catch and Jade and, and Will and all these other people. But uh, the last one we're going to talk about is Sassy or Flo. Uh, Patrick. Oh, saucy. <laughs> Fun. Uh, just biting. Her, her, her sarcasm is just biting. She is my favorite secondary character, without a doubt. They gave her some of the best scene-stealing lines. There's one, like, when she's talking to Rupert, she hates Rupert so much. She's like, I, I wrote down the quote, I'm going to say it. Rupert, I think about your death every single day. Oh, I can't wait. I'm going to wear red to your funeral. <laughs> I will be a beacon of joy to the other three people there. She, oh, my God. When she was on fire, she was on fire. Fire. Oh my gosh. I love Sassy. She's funny. She's attractive. She's got the great lines. She's free spirited. So much fun. So much fun. I love the way she freaked out uh, Rebecca talking about Ted. That was hilarious. <laughs> well, her, when, when, when Ted asks if his, her daughter is, uh, is her, well, I don't want to get it because it gets pretty graphic about their sexual intercourse. But he's like, is, is she mine? He's like, Ted, we had sex six months ago. She's like 13. <laughs> Yeah, and you can't tell if Ted's making a joke there or right. if he's just, you know, he he's going through a lot right then, you know? I, I love that she just calls him Marvel Man. That's uh, that yes. too funny. Yes. All right, so I'm going to ask you guys, who is your favorite? Uh, who I've already said my favorite secondary. Who's your favorite main character? And then who's your favorite secondary character? We'll start with you, Captain Entropy. Where, where did we decide Higgins was? He's a secondary character? All right. I mean, he lives in both worlds. We'll say he's a main character because he's in the opening credits. Yeah, I, I think Higgins is probably my favorite main character. And I'm, I'm probably a, alone on Higgins Island, but that's cool. Um, <laughs> And, and maybe my secondary character is is, is Trent Krim, independent. Mm, I can see that. Excuse yeah. me, Trent Krim, the independent. Right. Coach Patrick. Well, I've had, gosh, what, three hours now to to weigh both of them. And, and pound for pound, I, I did say Coach Beard, probably in a, in a fit of uh, of jitters in, in early in the episode, I said that Coach Beard was my favorite. But realistically, it's going to be Roy Kent. It, it can't not be Roy Kent. I mean, he's just so much there uh, throughout the whole show that we all love. And yes, Roy Kent is probably my favorite main character. Secondary character, I'm going to totally agree with Coach Entropy. It's Trent Crim. The independent. Okay. All right. Well, I've already shared my secondary, Sassy. But my primary, I went into the show saying, without a doubt, it was Roy Kent. But the more we talk... 
right, I'm, I'm going to hold on to my Roy Kent, but I am so close. I am just one funny joke away from flipping my favorite to being Keely because I just think she's great. <laughs> I think she's so damn funny and energetic and just fun and a great character. And whenever you're in Cardiff, you can always find the best sushi restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, we've, we've run through the characters. Let's uh, let's before we start winding down here. Let's hit some favorite moments or favorite episodes or scenes or quotes, whatever you want to do. I'll throw. Let's go rapid fire. Captain Entropy, hit us. Christmas episode and Amsterdam episode. Every part of that was so telling of the characters, and and just they were they were masterpieces. I I, I will probably watch those again just by themselves. All right, Coach uh, Patrick. Uh, they were back to back. I mean, Carol of Bells, the Christmas episode from season two. And then the very next episode was the, the rainbow episode with the rom communism. Just those were the literal high points of the entire show for me. So my two favorite episodes were, and my favorite scene, of course, is still the dart scene from the, the, the end of season one. Yeah. Ooh, 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 one more scene. There's uh-huh. a joke that makes me laugh every time. When when Rebecca says, oh, no, Miss Welton, that's my father. And uh, yeah. And- <laughs> and and Coach Ted says, if that's a joke, I love it. If it isn't, I can't wait to unpack that with you. Right. Uh, that's, on, that's on my calendar in my office. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Uh, I'll, I'll run rapid fire. I've got a, it, it's a lengthy list of episodes, but, uh, first of all, we, one thing we never mentioned was the Christmas claymation episode. If you haven't watched it, it's on like the extras or something on Apple TV. Did oh you guys watch God. the claymation episode? I hope I have not seen the claymation. Oh, I don't believe I did. So Maybe I did. I don't remember. I, if it's, it only, did. It, it's only like, I don't know, five minutes long. Uh, and it's, it's, I don't know if it's actual claymation. It's probably computer generated to look like claymation, but the, the plot is Ted loses his mustache. Oh, yes, I did see that. Yes, the okay. mustache, right? It's adorable. It's, there you go, Captain. It should be something to look forward to. It's That's a super- gift. Thank you. Um, so for me, that one's great. Uh, the Diamond Dogs, which is the one with the darts that we talked about. is amazing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the season finale from season one, the hope the hope that kills you, uh, where, you know, again, Roy goes out with the injury. You get Ted with that closing discussion about how everyone is sad, and uh, it's better to be sad and with someone than sad and alone, uh, which is so powerful. Uh, it's one of the best speeches in the in the in inspirational speeches in the in the series. Season two, we already mentioned Carol the Bells and Rainbow, fantastic episodes. The Man City episode, though, where we get to see Jamie's dealing with his father, and then Roy and the just hug. yeah oh, the hug. hug. I mean, I get misty thinking about it. Beard after hours is hysterical, where it's <laughs> that bizarre out of left field one. Then no weddings and a funeral, where it, I mean, I'm crying. Maybe it's because Sassy's a major player in that one, but I'm crying. I'm laughing so hard in no weddings and a funeral, and it's such a dark place to have it happen but it just feels so real and then and we uh, all got rickrolled in a brilliant way yes and the whole team shows up on a bus for the funeral that was great yes and, and they and they sing rick astley's Never oh yes give you up that yeah. is right thank you for reminding me of that okay uh, that's i didn't rewatch that one getting ready so i now i'm gonna have to again uh and then sunflowers which is the amsterdam episode we all mentioned of course and the final episode are all great i did notice as i was going through this though that i picked more favorite episodes from season two than season one or three that kind of surprised me i figured season one would have been my favorite but i think season two might actually be my favorite any feelings on that guys uh yeah again like i said it it was season two i think they was truly they were firing on all cylinders uh all of the expectations were there for people because we had the characters so well developed from the first season but we didn't have the the tremendous amount of setup that we needed for each individual character now he's he's established his relationships with them and we're seeing the fruits of that in season two 
I have three daughters. There are three seasons of Ted Lasso. They're all my favorites. Don't ask me to pick. <laughs> well, that leads us to a good question. Was three seasons just right? Did, you know, is it, is it the porridge and, you know, the bed and it's, it's just right? <laughs> or did we need more or did we need less? I I don't know the answer to this one. I don't know. Do you guys, if you don't have any feelings on it, that's okay oh, too. Oh, come on. You're not going to be non-confrontational on this. I needed more. So I think they rushed the third and final episode uh, or season. Uh, I, I expect that they probably wanted to write for, but something happened. I don't know if it was budgetary or creative or what, but I, I think this was a story that could have been told best in four seasons. I think you're probably right. Uh, Coach Patrick, I would say I would stop at three just because I am so happy with what they did. I wouldn't change anything. But I think you're probably like if, if if there's a way to be objective about this, you're probably objectively right. But I would stop at three. And now um, c- can we just transition to the to the to the spinoff question? Well, I, I do have one comment now that you got me thinking about it. So okay. I do think you're right. I think we needed a season four because the, the two things I felt most unsatisfied with the way season three ended was Nate back as assistant kitman and Keeley having success with their own company but then being back pretty much with man, uh, with the team and I felt like they had growth and then suddenly backpedaled for the finale is what I felt like and if they'd had a fourth season they could have figured out how to let that play out so I think I will backtrack from my non-committal to yeah they needed a fourth season but now let's hear it so spin-offs what do we need to see next what what do you think we'll see versus what do you want to see like hit us hit us with these thoughts I want to see Coach Roy, the Roy Kent effect, as the spinoff. And I also want to see Ted, uh, you know, back home in Kansas and, and what's going to happen there. And, you know, and him reconnecting with his family and the will they or won't they with his wife. And I'm I'm really probably happy either way. And I, I want to see Nate's journey from assistant kit man back up to assistant coach. And I just I feel confident he's going to make that journey. He just I think he it he he actually reminds me of Robert De Niro in the mission. I think he he wants to do his penance and he wants to carry that armor and 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 finish the task so he's going to make the journey back up and i think his relationship with will is, is i, I want to see that different now and and roy will have a journey continuing to figure out how to you know he, he can't be ted lasso he's going to have beard working with him and Beard probably doesn't want to be head coach. He probably doesn't see himself as that guy. Beard supporting him. I think that would just be an interesting dynamic. Hmm. All right. Coach Patrick? I think the natural choice is just because, you know, the, the whole series was created by Jason Sudeikis and Brendan Hunt. Uh, Coach Beard and and Brett Goldstein was such an integral part of the writing of all of these favorite episodes for all of us. I think I, I think I would really love to, and I know that they could do good fan service. And we have to talk about the fan service somewhat. Uh, I think that that they could write a very strong Roy Kent, perhaps, and Coach Beard, Brendan Hunt. Uh, the the two of them could write a really strong spinoff series. I, I remember when Frazier came on, I was like, there's just no way that Frazier could be, ever be as good as <laughs> Cheers. <Right>. And yet <laughs> here we are. And now they're doing a third Frazier series. So will that really? have the same staying power? Yeah. It's about start. So yep. now he's in Boston again. So I got to say for, I, I actually, I don't have a huge passion to see the Roy B uh, Roy Kent coach beard, Nate series. Uh, I feel like I've seen that story. 
And I don't know that we can, like too much Roy Kent might be too too much of a good thing, is I'm a little worried actually about. Uh, however, Coach Entropy, you got me thinking, if they did tell that story, the natural drama I would see play out is that Roy realizes that Nate is the better head coach. And that eventually, Nate, as he continues to go through a redemption arc, Nate becomes the head coach and Roy works with him. You know, and Roy finds that his place, he doesn't want to lead. He wants to work with the, he, want to, he wants to work with the team on their skills and get them better and get in there and train like he did with Jamie. But, you know, Nate's more the leader. That's, that's what I would see for that. But that's, that's not what I want to see. What I want to see, I want to see a series with Rebecca and Keeley. I think that they have the chemistry. They're, they're just so funny together. And I don't know what the story is. I don't. Maybe it's the female team. I don't know that they talked about. I, I don't know. Maybe it's soccer. Maybe it's them just, you know, one season of them go traveling around the world and getting into goofy adventures. I don't know. But they're so funny together. They're a great double act. Throw Sassy in there, please. And that would just be, I think, the ideal series what I want. Again, I do want an annual Christmas special with Roy and Phoebe. That would be great. And, and then I had one more idea. I don't even know how this would play out, but some sort of buddy show with Jamie Tart and then someone else who would have to be very straight laced. Like, cause you know, Jamie's the wild card, right? But it have to be a very, I don't know, like someone like Sam, like Jamie and Sam doing some crazy venture together might be cute. I don't know, but my heart's in Rebecca and Keeley. You could do episodes of all of those things. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, going back to the, the, the Frasier simile, if I might, for a moment, when they did that and they, they dug really deep, I mean, Frasier and Lilith were like, fifth sixth seventh strength characters you yeah. know and and they built an entire show around them i could easily see a show built around but like you even with your idea with sam obasanya and somebody he could be the straight man and then jamie could be like hey let's go get into wacky hijinks together mm-hmm. yeah all of it would be fun and you could, you could make a show about that pub but it, it, it could be british cheers they already have geronimo on the wall but <laughs> Um, the, the, the one thing I wanted to, to key in on that you said, Shag, and this is a little painful because it involves admitting that you were right. Um, the, ouch. Oof. Yeah, that, that, I'm, I'm, I'm liking this. Keep it coming. Shaking. Not, not many have felt this pain, but anyway, you've talked about the difference between Nate's skills and Roy's skills. And it's true. Roy is, is a tactician. He's maybe it's even lower than tactics, but it's technique. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and he's good at that. And, and, yeah, I think Roy is all about technique and and Nate is about tactics and strategy. And he has not played the game, at least not, I'm sure he played it in school, but he's not played it to the level that Roy has. And he doesn't understand the technique as well. And 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 Roy can't see the field the, the way that Nate can. And I think it's an, it's an interesting combination. Yeah. And I think the show that we all want, but we're not saying is that we want to see a few years later when Isaac McAdoo is an undercover cop with the metropolitan police and it's richmond after dark <laughs> that would be pretty Oy, what you doing over there? well that was a given i just I, mean, I didn't feel like it needed to be said so <laughs> police brutality i think is, is coming on that one anyway yeah so this has been absolutely wonderful a great uh conversation that i told the guys wouldn't even last 40 minutes uh oops my bad so uh, i i I think we all love the show. And you know what? Let's save it for the end. Uh, right now, folks, what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick podcast promo break. And when we come back, I'm going to read your feedback from the last couple episodes of Once Upon a Geek. So I'm going to do your feedback. And then after that, we're going to come back. I'm going to bring Coach Entropy and Coach Patrick back. And we're going to have some closing thoughts on how much we love the show and what it's meant to us. We show! We show! 
Hey, Sean, did you know that Batman Family Reunion is expanding? Oh my god, what? Our episodes are not going to be three hours long? No, no, no. Now that we've moved into Detective Comics, we are going to see stories starring other members of the, let's say, extended Batman family, like the human target. He's a detective. The demon. He's been in Batman Family before. Elongated Man. He's a detective. Red Tornado. He's been in Batman Family before. Black Lightning. Ooh, he's cool. And the Adam. He's small. <laughs> I'm excited by the upcoming artists. Not only are we still going to see my favorite, Michael Glorious Golden, but we will see art by Don Newton, Dick Giordano, Irv Novick, Jose Delvo, Johnny Craig, and even Steve Ditko and Dan Spiegel. Awesome, but we won't forget the original stars. We'll see Robin return to the big top and Babs discover a family secret. Man Bat teams up with Jason Bard, Batman teams up with Batgirl, and we will finally get an all-new Alfred story. We will see villains like Maxi Zeus, the Riddler, the Crime Doctor, and the Truckers. But Paul, you know people say that the best part about the reunion is getting to interact with our Bat cousins. I personally think it's all of the food, but I understand their point of view. We are continuing our guest list, including some repeat visits, but also some new Bat relatives. We love that our show has become a real family reunion, and we can't wait for you to hear what we have planned. That's the Batman Family Reunion on all of your podcast apps, only on the Fire & Water Podcast Network. We show! We show! And now, your feedback from recent episodes of Once Upon a Geek. All right, folks, first off, I do have a request for you. Um, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. It really helps raise the profile of the show and attract new listeners. Well, the Fire and Water Podcast Network itself has tons of iTunes reviews. Uh, this is still a relatively new show, so we could use the boost. In exchange for writing a review, I will read the entire review on the air during a feedback segment, just like these wonderful and much-appreciated iTunes reviews we've received. First up is our buddy Alan W. Wright from the Robin Hood website, BoldOutlaw.com, and the Blake 7 podcast, Straight Out of the Federation. He writes, Positive Retrospective. Shag takes us on a tour of his obsessions from childhood and beyond. With a positive outlook, he covers the stuff he loves. His enthusiasm is infectious, like infectious lass, in fact. <laughs> Thank you so much, Alan. I sincerely appreciate it. Next up, we received an iTunes review from David Gallagher, author of The Only Living Boy and The Only Living Girl and High Moon and many, many other things. Uh, David writes, Fantastic show, a robust, positive, upbeat show about comics with fantastic guests. Aw, well, thank you, David. That was incredibly kind of you. Then we heard from Bucky749, the American Samurai, who has his own YouTube channel. He says, another classic from Fire & Water Network. Once again, the Fire & Water Network strikes gold as Shag is back. Talking about anything from Blue Devil to Doctor Who, maybe even someday the Ultraverse or even the Mask comics. To paraphrase Mask, it's Shag's world and we're all just finding joy in it. Well, there is a good chance I will cover Ultraverse at some point because you know I love it. Thank you, Bucky. Then our next iTunes review comes from Brett Young from Imaginate Designs. He says, spreading the joy. 
Shag is a terrific host. I have never watched Doctor Who and know nothing about it outside of the he's the guy with the scarf, right? <laughs> but I loved his episodes covering them. The love and dedication to the various geeky subjects is infectious. Give it a listen and you just might learn something. Oh, well, thank you, Brett. I sincerely appreciate that. And our last iTunes review for today comes from Billy Dunleavy, who has the Magazines and Monsters podcast, but also the All-Star Squadron podcast, A World on Fire. Uh, Billy writes, a fun, positive podcast. And then he says, even though the host is Shag... <laughs> Even though the host is Shag, I enjoy this show immensely. A variety of geeky subjects are discussed with rotating co-hosts. Each episode is very positive and passionate, and it's a joy to listen to. Oh, and just kidding, Shag is a 10 out of 10 on the podcaster hottie scale. (laughs) Thank you, Billy. I I feel like we know each other too well. (laughs) Again, folks, uh, please consider leaving a review on iTunes. It would really help boost uh, the profile of the show. And by the way, if you are outside of the United States and you leave an iTunes review from another country, just give me a shout out and let me know if you don't mind, because I have to go and find the specific country to find your review then. Again, thank you everyone who've left those reviews. They're really helping out the show. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to cover your feedback from the last couple episodes, uh, specifically feedback that comes from our website, which is firewaterpodcast.com slash onceuponageek. And we're going to be covering the most recent episodes on the Battlestar Galactica comic book adaptation and J.L. May, Brave and the Bold number 30 with Green Lantern and Dr. Fate. So we're only going to be covering the feedback from those two episodes because all the Blue Devil episodes I've done recently, the Blue Devil feedback is specifically covered on the Blue Devil-specific episodes. So that stays with that theme. So, all right, uh, again, I've collected all your comments from our website, so I'm just going to be reading bits and pieces because there is so much feedback. Even though it's just two episodes, tons of feedback. But if I missed anyone's comments from our website, I sincerely apologize. Please drop me a line and let me know. So first up, we're going to talk about the Battlestar Galactica comic book adaptation that I covered with my guest, Paul Spataro. First up is Brian Shufo. He writes another great episode and guest. And he goes on to say, Muffet the Daggett, who we spent a fair amount of time talking about, he says, Muffet the Daggett might have been added as their version of R2-D2. The character always fascinated me because it was a chimpanzee inside the costume. I don't know if BJ and the Bear came out before or after, but chimpanzees were popular with this eight-year-old kid. Brian, you blew my mind. I had no idea that Muffet was a chimpanzee in a costume. That is insane. Uh, Siskoid follows that up from the Firewater Podcast Network. By the way, he's getting ready to launch a new show called Siskoid Cinema Podcast. But Siskoid says, yes, uh, about the chimpanzee. And apparently it was a real pain in the ass to work with. Wow. I Seriously, guys, I had no idea. That blew my mind. All right, then we're here from Bucky749, the American Samurai who has his own YouTube channel. He says, enjoyed the episode and listened to both parts. And then he says, Shag, you did it. I'm watching the original Battlestar Galactica movie right now. And my thoughts, Starbuck is now the screensaver on my phone. I like it. <laughs> I'm really glad to hear that, Bucky. Next up is Gene Hendricks, the executive director at Azir Voices and part of the Two True Freaks podcasting network. Gene says, has there ever been a, quote, this is directed at kids, end quote, gimmick that worked? Boxy and Muffet? Gremlin the Dragon on Flash Gordon? Wesley Crusher on Star Trek The Next Generation? Lucas on Sequest? Etc. I got more annoyed with them being there than identifying with them. Well, then some guy named Captain Entropy? I don't know who this guy is. Anyway, he responds saying, What about Scrappy-Doo? How can you forget Scrappy, Gene? It was a beloved kids cartoon full of meddling kids and a dog in a cool van. Then they brought in an obnoxious younger dog to chase us all away. What TV exec genius was behind that decision? Has that story ever been told? Uh, And then Gene specifically says, As for Scooby 
Scooby-Doo and all the Scooby clones, when his favorite was the Clue Club, by the way, he says that would be different in my mind because they were all kids already. It wasn't like they had a group of adults and one genius comic relief kid uh, that would get thrown in to make the group relatable. No, that's possible. So uh, for me, I do think it's a little bit different. So for Scooby-Doo, you know, that cartoon had already been on the air for 20 years when they introduced Scrappy, right? So for most kids, that was like their parents' cartoon. So I do think that Scrappy-Doo was a cash grab attempt to try and get the younger audience, you know, to try and grab the new kids. That's just my two cents. I think that's the case. Uh, And then Gene says that he agrees to some extent, uh, but it was more of a Cousin Oliver situation than a boxy situation. And that seems fair. Then we heard from Edo Bosnar, who says, Great show. Really enjoyed the conversation, especially the detailed breakdown of the adaptation comics. I should say right off that I am inordinately fond of the Marvel Battlestar Galactica comics. I have the entire series, albeit in an odd fashion. I had the two trade paperbacks published by Titans Books, and then the uh, missing issues from that as singles, which I had then had bound into a single volume. It's kind of interesting. Then it goes on to say, as for other adaptations, I have to agree with Paul about Logan's run. I think the first five issues of the Marvel series that cover the story from the movie are arguably the best movie adaptation of comics ever. In fact, no disrespect to the lovely Jennifer Gutter, but I have to say they even surpass the movie. The only other adaptation that gives the latter a run for its money in my book is the excellent Alien, The Illustrated Story, scripted by Archie Goodwin and drawn by none other than Walt Simonson. Ooh, interesting. All right. Then we heard from Liz Ann Oswald, who has her own YouTube channel. She says, I liked the Battlestar Galactica TV show, and I remember watching it when I visited my grandparents, and here and there at home as well, and as reruns. Uh, Liz says she had the robot action figure, and I think Starbuck. Then Liz says, I definitely watched the relaunch when it was on Sci-Fi, and it was a good show. All right, well, thank you so much, Liz. Then we heard from Jack Bond, who goes, uh, there was a fourth way to buy this comic. I know because having missed it the first three times, we found the paperback-sized version in a bookstore next to the novelizations. And I say we because my sister bought it. I will say this about the geekiness in my family, despite low-key teasing about fandoms we don't share. For the fandoms we do share, there was a sense of communal property. That's awesome. I love hearing sibling stories. Thank you, Jack, for sharing that. And he says, I think all the articles and pinups were collected in the center between two panels of the Ragtag Fugitive Fleet Gathering. Great podcast, and I can see it again through your descriptions. Oh, well, thank you, Jack. And wow, that sounds so cool that they did a comic adaptation. I, I have the little one for Return of the Jedi that's like a little novelization, but it's actually collecting the comics. That's awesome to know that Battlestar Galactica did that as well. I was actually in a used bookstore recently and saw a massive stack of Battlestar Galactica books, and I, like, I took one peek at it and I'm like I I, I gotta walk away I gotta walk away or I'd buy them all (laughs) Uh, then we hear from David Young who says excellent show once again I did not have any of the Battlestar Galactic comics from the late 70s however I collected entire runs of DC Star Trek and V comic books back then and Marvel Star Wars and Further Adventures of Indiana Jones and their separate film comic adaptations as well He says, I finally got around to watching the original Galactic in 2017 and Galactic in 1980 the next year and really enjoyed them. Even, yes, the kooky Galactic in 1980. Then he says, as for uh, the best comic book adaptations of movies, I have to say that it must be, hands down, Archie Goodwin and Al Williamson's Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. With Jerry Ordway's gorgeous adaptation of the 1989 Batman movie, a close second. Or third, if you count Empire and Jedi separately. Wow. Okay, so Empire and Return are glorious adaptations. I love those. Those were some of the earliest adaptations I had, and I just I imprinted on those. There's no denying that. So, I, honestly, and the Rage of the Lost Ark ones as well. So, uh, gr- great picks, David. Thank you. 
All right, then we're going to move on now to the uh, next episode we're going to cover, which was part of the JLMA crossover, where we discussed the Brave and the Bold, issue number 30, starring Green Lantern and Dr. Fate. And my guest on that episode was Keechi Baker. All right, first up, we hear from, again, this mysterious, strange person named Captain Entropy. Never heard of him. He says, great podcast. And he says, on the free will versus determinism discussion, I'm a compatibilist. Yes, we have free will, and yes, it's all predetermined. See, it was even predetermined that I would freely choose this paradoxical, equivocable, confusing philosophical stance. <laughs> oh, wow. Making my head spin, Captain Entropy. Uh, then he goes on to say, not to make too much of the connection, but I relate to Hal. One of my big fears has always been dying stupidly. I don't want the w- people at my funeral to be thinking, he should have known better. Or how did he not see that coming? I've worked pretty hard to avoid that. Well, uh, Captain Entropy, I wish you the best of luck on that. Then we heard from Doug Adamson, who says, uh, This was a lovely sidetrack to go down, especially with Keechi Baker. It was a good balance, just like the issue in question, to have a fan of each of the two heroes in the story. I don't recall reading this at the time, but I've since gone back to read it on the DC app, and it just sings as a story. Jesus Saez, the artist, is phenomenal and a true master of his craft, and the whole book looks gorgeous. Then he goes on to say, The book itself is also rather unusual. There's not a lot of superhero action at all, and it's far more about the drama of the situation and the philosophical points. Uh, You know, Doug, I hadn't thought about a particular lack of action. That's a good point. I find it a shame that J. Michael Straczynski only got nine issues of this series to work with. I think his love of the DC Universe's heroes shines through, as well as his frankly astounding scripts. Oh yeah, I totally agree with that. Then we heard from Matt Sorois, who does the TV Movie Rewind podcast, and I, I was actually a guest on that show recently, talking about the final two seasons of the Super Friends cartoon. Had a great discussion. That was a lot of fun. Anyway, Matt goes on to say, Hal Jordan is not boring. He's dull. <laughs> Unfortunately, he just came from a time when superheroes were defined by their powers and nothing else. I, too, was introduced to Green Lantern through the Super Friends and followed him in the comics in the pages of Justice League of America. And since he was part of the ensemble in both of those, he proved entertaining enough for me. As a kid, I wanted to grow up to be a cop or an astronaut, and Green Lantern was a combination of both. A space cop that's ultimately why I like the character. In regard to the second Superpowers miniseries, Pure Comic Book Joy. That series is a ton of fun. And by coincidence, Dr. Fate and Green Lantern teamed up along with Wonder Woman in that issue. And it was actually the first issue of that series I picked up off the spinner rack, specifically because Dr. Fate and Green Lantern were in it. I later went back and bought the other issues. Oh, that's awesome, Matt. And if I remember right, that's the Easter Island head issue of the Superpowers miniseries. And I love that issue. Oh. I have very fond memories of reading that at my grandmother's house while eating candy. (laughs) Then we heard from Alexander Asias from the Armchair Gamer blog. He writes, great podcast. I love this incarnation of Brave and the Bold, and this story was one of my faves as well. Not one that immediately jumps to mind, but one that is both a high-stakes action story and a high-stakes moral decision story mixed in with friendship and long-established characters. No, that's a great summation. Yeah, thanks, Alex. They were from Lizanne Oswald, uh, who has her own YouTube channel, and she shared a link to a song by Kirby Crackle called Ring Capacity, which is all about Green Lantern. That was awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that, Liz. Then she says, cool team-up of Dr. Fate and the fourth best Green Lantern, Hal. (laughs) Uh, Fourth best Green Lantern, I like that. Uh, Then she says, cool story idea. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I agree more with Hal in this, that free will is above fate. I always see his desire or will overriding fate. Hmm. All right, interesting perspective. Then we heard from Tim Price from the Outcasters, Batman and the Outsiders podcast over on the Right On Network. Tim says, this whole Brave and the Bold series was new to me. So thank you to all the JLMA podcasters for getting me to read it. Fantastic series overall. 
And Tim says, when I got to this issue, I immediately recognized the Justice League International number seven dialogue and scenes. I was gobsmacked. Of all the things to tie into a Dr. Fate and Green Lantern team up, I never could have predicted that. Already made this issue a winner, and the rest did not disappoint. I, it was a great issue, Tim. It was so good. They are from Bucky749, the American Samurai. Uh, again, Bucky says, great guest and great episode. I still think at some point there will be a Tomb of Fate podcast on the Firewater Network with the way you guys talk. And then he goes on to say, since we're talking about magic users and lanterns, could the hero known as Dr. 13 use the lantern ring since it's science and not magic? All I know about him is what I've read in two volumes of the DC Showcase Presents Phantom Stranger. Uh, Bucky, well, first off, uh, I don't know if Dr. 13 could handle a Green Lantern ring. Maybe. I guess it all comes down to willpower and, quite frankly, who's writing the comic. Uh, and then more so about a potential Dr. Fate podcast on our network. I don't think that's in the cards. Uh, as much as I love Dr. Fate, I would love to dedicate some episodes of this particular show, Once Upon a Geek, by Dr. Fate, but I don't think I've got it in me to maintain a sustained uh, podcast series about him. So thank you, though, for the suggestion. Then we heard from Paul Keehan from the Firewater Podcast Network. He does the Batman Family Reunion Show. And recently, over on the FW Presents feed, he hosted an episode about the Maze Agency. So Paul writes, really enjoyed this episode. After listening to a few of these JLMA shows, I'm going to dig out these issues and reread. I thought Keith G. Baker had, had made some really insightful points on the tension between determinism and free will. You were okay too, Shag. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Paul, for the kind words. Uh, then we heard from Jimmy McGlinchey from our Irish Embassy. Sorry, I, it's hard to stop saying that after all these years on the JLI show. Jimmy says, excellent discussion on this issue of The Brave and the Bold. I had forgotten about the JLI number 7 link, and reading through, there's another linkage to that story. In JLI number 7, Hal Jordan turned up to have a word with Guy, only to find out that he'd received the bump on his head. Thus, he was obviously filled in then on what happened with Dr. Fate, so that when he met with Fate in Space in Brave and the Bold number 30, he mentioned that the others had said he had left abruptly. Not sure if JMS thought of it like that, but the timing fits. Interesting. Then he says, one could also speculate that at the end of Brave and the Bold, with Fate musing on his place in the world, that he made the decision then to step back from the JLI to deal with the karmic responsibilities as he related to Guy near the end of JLI number seven. Wow. You know, given JMS's attention to detail, that is quite possible. I'm really not sure, but interesting insights. Thank you so much, Jimmy. And again, my thanks to all of you for your support of the Once Upon a Geek podcast, folks. You guys are absolutely amazing. If you'd like to be included in the next feedback section, all you need to do is leave a comment on our website uh, on one of the next few episodes. Again, that's firewaterpodcast.com slash onceuponageek. You could leave it on this episode talking about Ted Lasso. And we will cover it again in another five episodes from now. So please keep those cards and letters coming, folks. And my thanks again to Kichi Baker and Paul Sapataro for appearing on this episode. They were simply awesome. And thank you, listeners, for such a great collection of feedback. Now, we're going to take a quick podcast promo break, and when we come back, we'll bring Coach Patrick and Coach Entropy in to say goodbye. Jeff and Merck present Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, where we journey through each issue of the most underrated Marvel series of the 80s while drinking beer, analyzing awesome and amazing adolescent adventures, and absorbing alcohol. We got kids with powers, we got villains with attitude. We got superhero guests, like all of them from the Marvel Universe. We have thematically appropriate beer reviews. We have good jokes and bad song parodies. One stop for all your Power Pack pod-pleasing procurements. And we got alliteration. Find Unpacking the Power of Power Pack wherever fine podcasts are played. Costumes on. Whistle! Whistle! All 
right, we're back from break. And yes, I've got both Coach Patrick and Coach Entropy here with me. First off, Coach Patrick, my dear old friend, thank you so much for appearing on the show. It's always a pleasure chatting with you. Would you please tell the listeners where they can find more of you? Sure, old friend. <laughs> no. Uh, well, I have a YouTube channel like everybody else on the planet. Uh, I I cover war games and strategy board games and things like that. It's called Patrick's Tactics and Tutorials. It's out there on YouTube. And if uh, if you need an insomnia uh, relief, well, come on by and watch some of my videos. We'll have you asleep in no time. But that's where you can find me. Oh, my gosh. You are selling yourself completely short, folks. If you love any kind of cool tactical board game, he has got amazing information on it. And, by the way, if you're ever in town, come out on Thursday nights and call me and we'll go see live trivia that Patrick hosts, which is absolutely a blast and engaging and fantastic. So don't sell yourself short, sir. You're amazing. Thanks, old friend. <laughs> Again, thank you so much, Patrick. Now, Captain Entropy, uh, not so much uh, old friend, but new friend. Again, I, I really enjoyed our time at Heroes Con. It meant a world to me. It, it, that really is what made that convention so amazing, was spending time with friends. Would you please, I know you don't have a major internet presence, but where can people find more of you? Where should they look for you? Well, they can always find more of me on the Fire and Water Podcast Network, as long as you guys keep inviting me on the show and introducing <laughs> me to actual nice people like Coach Patrick. <laughs> The next place they can find me is on Batman Family Reunion with my Bat cousins, Sean and Paul, uh, where we'll be discussing the best issue of Batman Family Ooh, that's that, that's big. That's a big bragging rights right there, sir. Yeah. Again, Captain or Coach, sorry. Uh, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it, buddy. Thank you. You talk about Charlotte. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop the Antagonism Act for a minute. The, Uh-oh. Yeah. So that was an amazing experience for me. I have been blessed with wonderful family and friends that are involved in every aspect of my life and the geekdom is the like the gap like my daughters are into some of the comics i read and into to geekdom uh to some degree and and they've like introduced me to their own things but there aren't other middle-aged men who remember the same comics i do in the 80s <laughs> and, you know, the same you know the same original star trek movies and all those things but to have serious conversations about silly things and to show up at in Charlotte at Heroes Con and spend time with you and and with the the Longbox Crusade crew and with everybody and people I I never met never heard of before that I just met at the con that was incredible so uh, and I'll I'll do it again that, that I, one of the best compliments I've ever received and believe me I've gotten millions of them uh, was <laughs> one of the people there I won't I won't say the name because I don't know if I'm sharing out of turn but they said to me you know looking around the table uh, you just told me that a lot of these people here you just met this weekend for the first time face to face. And they said, I would never have known that because it seems like everybody here has known each other for years and you all treat each other like family. And that's what I love about our community is that's what we do. It's uh, Patrick and I experienced this with our role-playing group. We brought together disparate people from different areas that we didn't know. And we're a family now. And I love the, all the communities that we're all fortunate enough to be part of. And uh, yeah, brings me a lot of joy. So real quick, summing up your your love of Ted Lasso. So we've got we shared our love for each other. Now Ted Lasso, Coach Patrick, closing thoughts on Ted Lasso, what it means to you, or any any aspect of it. Once again, you put me on the spot, and I will try not to talk too long about it. But I think we've done a really good job encapsulating 
all of our feelings. I mean, this, this is truly a story of, of, uh, like I said, honesty, genuineness, love, compassion, redemption. It's all in there in three seasons and it is much more than the sum of its parts. And if you, uh, if you are open to it and if you've been listening to it this far, we've spoiled everything, but you know, those of you who have gotten this far, you know it. And, uh, this is just confirmation bias for you. So I love everything about it. And, uh, I, you know, I, I could watch it over and over again, which is for me, that's high praise on any show. Captain Entropy. Yeah, I can't add anything to that. Um, I will just say, Shag, thank you for the opportunity to, to come on and, and share my joy. Thank you for the suggestion. This was your idea. And uh, I will just reinforce a point I made earlier is a show that can make me want to be a better person. That's amazing. I mean, I earned the name Irredeemable for a reason. So the fact that it makes me want to turn my back on that and try and be better, it says a lot. It's such a great show and it's going to stay with me. It's you know, I watch a lot of stuff that I forget about next the week after, not this show. You can be redeemed, Shad. Believe. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, that is going to do it. So come back next time when we cover another topic that brings us joy. And what will it be? Well, next month just happens to be the 60th anniversary of the television show Doctor Who. So there's a chance we might just get a little timey-wimey up in here. Thanks for listening, everyone. Until next time, I'm Coach Shag. And I'm Coach Patrick. And I'm Coach Entropy. And remember, folks, life is short. Focus on the positive. Find Find your joy. joy.